Parchment bad. Welcome to episode 105 of Grumpy Old Ben's for Monday, October 26, 2020. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where I'm still pissed at NVIDIA, and now I've added PayPal to my list. And from America's left coast, where the average American now spends more money on taxes than food, clothing, health care, and entertainment combined. I'm Ryan Bemrose. And you'll double that if a Biden-Harris ticket wins. Congratulations. Probably. I have numbers, by the way. I just throw them out. Uh, the in 2019, the average American spent fifteen thousand two hundred forty-five dollars combined on food, clothing, healthcare, and entertainment, and had eighteen thousand seven hundred sixty-four stolen in taxes, or a difference of twenty-five hundred and change. Well, the government spends your money wisely. Uh, no. Which government are you talking about? Oh, I, I don't know. I was confused no, for a I'm minute. Not, I'm not aware that there is one of those. And well, PayPal wasn't already on the list. Cold acid who asked the question in the troll room available at no stream.com when we do these shows live pretty much Monday, Friday at noon Eastern time. Overall, PayPal has been a decent service for me until recently when they started adding in this captcha bullshit. And it's never just one. And the Im- image quality is horrible. So even when you try to zoom the screen in like 200%, it makes it so bad you can barely see what it is. So somebody with really and, shitty and you eyes. you can barely see anyway. Right. Well, that's the problem. So it's like you go through the thing. And then I tried the audio version of it. And the audio version's just as bad. The audio version's kind of like listening to, you know, Mo Fax when he was on with uh, with uh, Hotep Jesus. It's like, well, uh, of course it is. You You know. I, I assume this is recapture. I haven't been to PayPal in a while. Oh, so yes, I mean it's the usual it's, little grid. It's the, yeah, okay, that's it's the Google one. Um, and the entire reason for the difficulty is because all of the easy ones have already been translated by the AI. And in order to get any benefit out of you, in order to get free work, you're playing Mechanical Turk for Google to train their AI. You need to be given the things that their AI doesn't already know. It's horrible. It really yeah. is. Both the v- like, visual and audio. I always, I always have this image in my head whenever it pops up. Like, you know, please find all images that have pedestrians. Also, hurry. You have three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody's life's in danger. Don't worry. Um, but maybe that is because you have a Tesla hurtling down the street trying to figure out child or pothole. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, uh, child or speed bump. Don't yes. worry, in, in seven seconds, there won't be a difference. Yes, it will be exactly the same. And I get it if it was, I was, if I was using the VPN, I would understand why PayPal would start getting a little more cautious. And I do give the companies that go a little more uh, privacy or security conscious. I, I don't think there's ever an excuse for using reCAPTCHA. I would that agree. Service is pure malware. I would agree. But I get why companies do more to make you jump through some hoops if your IP address is drastically changing. And mine does at times. But when I go to PayPal before the show, I don't have the uh, VPN on. 
so I don't have that issue. I so it's coming directly. I just made sure just to make sure that the VPN also NordVPN upgraded recently, but it's never been set to automatically connect. And again, it hasn't. So I was on my normal IP address that I got from Xfinity and naked on the Internet. I know. I know. And uh, it, it feels it feels dirty because you can be tracked so easily. I got a little bit more information on that Winston service, too, and it's it's intriguing because it kind of just seems like a mesh VPN that if you know if there's not enough boxes running in your area, it's probably not going to be really good because it's bouncing traffic around through its network. What wasn't that our conclusion when you described it earlier? It was. was we we, we, we like, had questions. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like a mesh VPN, which is really cool if they can reach critical mass and get the network effect going. Yes, that's powerful. And if they can't get a network effect going, then all the all the early adopters are kind of screwed, which is why they quickly went from pay us a hundred bucks for the hardware to we're including the hardware free. So that uh, obviously uh, there was a reason we we, well, because growth, because the service doesn't work unless you can get a network effect. And that requires growth and growth requires not strangling your customers. Yes. And what also made sense was the Winston bit. What they were doing with their system was strictly web traffic. So port 80. So if you want to do things like torrents and all that other stuff, not the service for you. IRC. Right. If you want to do IRC, that's not going to filter that. It's strictly for web, which for me makes it a lot less useful for Ben's and Bernadette's makes it a lot less useful for the average person. It's probably a decent service. And I guess we should always just well, kind of give a quick grumpy old Ben's. If people are coming to us and don't understand the name, it means tech guy in no agenda space, yes. which is a it, big podcast. We, we, it, we were a little short sighted in terms of, of trying to reach people outside of the no agenda community, because in the community, a dude named Ben is uh, a meme for an it guy. Uh, but and the, the story as as the story went was uh, it was during the IRS scandal of 2014. And one of the heads of the IRS was in front of Congress and they were grilling her about something technical. And she said, well, I I didn't handle this and I don't know how to use computers. And and I just left it up to our IT guy. And he says, well, what's the name of the IT guy? I don't know. I think his name might have been Ben. And that pretty much nailed how most companies and most people who aren't techies treat it people which is we don't even know your name you're just you know completely indispensable to everything that we've ever done but we can't be bothered to learn your name right some dude named ben became a meme and you know i would say we were short-sighted except for the fact that you hear john c dvorak on their 13th anniversary episode yesterday did you hear the number he dropped of episode downloads? I did not. He claims. Do, go back? Do, do we need to pause the show so I can go back and listen to no agenda from yesterday? Yeah. Go listen to the three and a half, four hours, whatever it ran and then come back. But or I okay. could just tell you that might be more efficient it's about the average length of one of my bathroom breaks. But go on. <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to mention that. Go potty casting. And a lot of people did mention that there are devices already on the market. One was called like the stadium pal or something 
which yeah, was basically yeah. a a personal device you could run a tube down your leg. My my, my friend Rachel, who who works in the medical industry, uh, actually offered she's like I can get you one of those if you need. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for trying to help the show. And Ryan will just be a grump and not use a, all the devices at his at his uh, at his fingertips that he could be using to make uh, the show better, so to speak. Right, so to speak. But uh, Dvorak. Drop the number. It's the first time I've heard either one of those guys, Adam or John, drop a number as far as downloads per episode. And Dvorak dropped the 800,000 per episode, which is pretty darn good. I I would not turn down numbers like that. No, no, it's uh, I mean, it's not quite we, Rogan, but it's what, it's what are we there. at? Like 80 per episode? No, no, we're at about a thousand. So, I mean, we're we only have to grow 800 times more to be no agenda that no no problem 800 no times pro- yeah hey i mean we're on trajectory to do that within 13 years right 13 that was the other thing it's like you want to be successful as a podcaster one thing that is certain is that longevity and sticking to it makes a huge difference because it's a a growth rate that has to be grassroots you know you're not putting a lot of money into marketing or anything like that you're not talking you know, big media buys or anything. But after 13 years, I have noticed because I watched the numbers and they keep going up. So that is a plus. As long as those numbers keep going up, as long as I'm seeing more downloads, as more as long as we're seeing more subscribers on the places where we can, including Apple and Podcast Addict, as long as those numbers keep going up and not down, you're doing something right. And for people who think you're going to start a podcast and immediately have, you know, hundred thousand listeners or more it doesn't oh, it's happen. easy to do that you have to start out as a celebrity that has a million followers or more yes that is that's and then maybe a hundred thousand <laughs> of them will get on your podcast <laughs> right that certainly is the way to go it you know if you got millions of people already following you on the social media that certainly helps but i thought that was a a pretty big number and it makes uh, sense that it's a dedicated group of listeners and that is what any podcast is looking for but yeah we just need to grow 800 times so everybody if you can do us a favor we need yes, 800 recommend grumpy old ben to 800 of your closest friends exactly that's all just 800 of your friends and it will be fine not a problem make them experts they want to be experts we cover interesting stuff here i will say nvidia because i know your wife was also having problems with the nvidia driver i haven't had any problems with this desktop until this and i've owned this thing now for what three years so it's coming to the end of the cycle anyway, kind of for me. But for three years, the thing ran absolutely perfectly fine. I installed the brand new NVIDIA driver that just came out again today, figuring they had fixed the problem, crashed within two minutes once I got the system back up and opened up any web pages. So, so what I want to know is where were you oh, with, with the recommendations about a month and a half ago uh, when I picked up the third monitor for this setup? But my Radeon that I've had forever that was driving the two monitors uh, didn't have an option for a third one. So I needed a new card and I picked up an NVIDIA 1650. <laughs> Is it working to, to drive the new bigger monitor in the middle? And it's working, but about one in about one in 10 times that the whole the, the monitor is blank because the system goes to sleep. The middle one doesn't come back. Oh, well, that's fun. Yeah. So <laughs> I've got a I've got a technique where I have to use the the left and right monitor and and launch the device manager 
uh, and then quickly try to figure out how to move it to a monitor I can see. And so I can go to the NVIDIA <laughs> right. driver, disable it and re-enable it. And that brings us the middle monitor back. Right. Yeah, that's true, because the middle middle monitor doesn't know it's asleep. So you're launching stuff in a monitor that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's, it's just like catch and release. Then it's like fishing. You're, you have a uh, a hotkey to move it now to a different monitor with the window that well, opens up. I, uh, yeah. Um, the wind plus shift plus left or right always moves the current window to a different monitor. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, unfortunately, all three windows just go to sleep and won't come back. All three monitors. And that may be oh, why see, you're, you're running them all on NVIDIA. Yes, that is the issue. <laughs> my my five year old Radeon card that's driving the other two monitors still works great. Man, you know, that, that's pathetic. It really is pathetic. If I was doing gaming and stuff like that, I would understand where the drivers they keep pushing. I mean, this is all happening going to random web pages and it was remember the first time for some reason it was paypal that was setting it off then it was twitter now it just seems like anything is just setting the thing off onto a uh, whatever fault happens and today with the brand new driver instead of going immediately just black the screen's going off everything stopped for probably 10 seconds the mouse was mo- not moving everything just stopped everything unresponsive and then the monitors all went to sleep. So uh, NVIDIA, not real happy with That's, their product. I mean, really, honestly, do you, do you need to use your computer for anything important? I, Just doing the show. It's not your computer. It's NVIDIA's and Microsoft's and, and you I know mean, how that works. Rolling back to old drivers. I mean, that's not the optimal way to go when the updates have been for security reasons. But, you know, I'll take security issues over. Well, just try just disable JavaScript on your video driver. I don't think that's a thing. Don't be running third party code on your graphics card. It probably probably and it may be because I'm running actually, three <laughs> monitors off this one card, but it's worked actually, for three years. Uh, uh, what, what, what's the technology? WebGL, I think, uh, does let you download shit from web pages and run it on your graphics card. That's that's how uh, the you know you run like OpenGL over the web. Right. That's how a lot of the, the Bitcoin mining via web JavaScript is done. Well, yeah, that's how folding at home's using it. Well, I, I mean, it's different if you're if you're launching an app unless right. folding at home is going through a browser. It, well, no, the browser is there is an app, but the browser is where your stats and stuff come. But, from, what, but yeah. what I mean is in in their constant quest to move all operating system functions into the browser, uh, Google at all came up with webgl which actually i mean it is a, an amazing technology it allows web apps to have hardware accelerated video which is cool and very powerful and has opened up a whole lot of things that the web can do now but at the same time it's downloading and letting third-party code run on your graphics card so now yeah maybe you do need those security updates yeah yeah well, or I, you know, I know turning off, but again, I use a bunch of different browsers, but turning off any of the accelerated use of the video card from the browser did stop the issue. But I'm just hoping that NVIDIA fixes the problem. But maybe I'm uh, being a little naive here, believing that they'll actually take care of this and in a expedient did you guru, manner. DigiGuru in the troll room has some some very sage advice. Go back to Windows 8.1. Yeah, get get rid of Win 10. <laughs> Apparently it's for chumps. I did not know that. This is this is a new user demographic I wasn't aware of, but 
but I'm way ahead of you. I've been running Windows 8.1 the whole time, and this NVIDIA driver is still shit. Yeah, so see, just letting you know. It doesn't matter <laughs> if anyone, anybody listening has run across this and has a fix for this. Let me know, because it seems to be not yeah, something I'm radio. easily finding an answer to besides roll the driver back. And that's uh, not really optimal, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, uh, just try turning it off and turning it on again. That's what you have to do when it crashes, but then it just keeps doing it, which is uh, which is annoying. But see, now at least I have a copy of the NVIDIA driver that works that I don't delete from my system now, you know, the setup file. So <laughs> when it crashes, I just go and install that again with a clean install and it goes back to working. So, I mean, I know I, what needs to be done. And, uh, you know, if I really wanted to try to figure out if there's you know any settings or anything you can do with the, the new version, but it's like, why that's a real pain in the ass. And it's not like it's an easy fix to find. And I do realize I'm probably, in the minority of people that are still running three displays off of one graphics card. But like I said, it's worked for three years. So I don't know why uh, they decided that they had to bork it. it it's now. worked for three years. You probably used up all of the graphics juice in it. <laughs> Is that it? There's juice in the card. I need yeah, to. It, uh, it, it, it comes pre-stocked with some kind of graphics fuel. Oh, I need You've to used get, it up. Yeah, I don't know. I need to get some I, more graphics. I probably fuel. need to stop watching the troll room, but uh, Blitz just cracked me up, said uh, I was talking about windows 10 me <laughs> is that what's coming i mean I, I i or we're already there i'm not sure well and this is the problem with any of these kind of drivers is that the company like nvidia can very easily just point to well no this is actually just a windows problem and then windows points to nvidia going no this is an nvidia problem and yeah uh, I, I i i've been on one side of those arguments many way too many times Yes, they're they're going to claim they're doing something wrong. They're going to claim they're doing something wrong. Yeah. And Usually it involves spending two or three days with like being, OK, if you want us to find out where the problem is, ship us the hardware, because, you know, we we down in the testing trenches, we always were working on on four year old hardware. Uh, we're like, OK, if, if the problem is crashing on your new hardware, so you need to ship us a piece of hardware that is brand new and get us the driver and we'll find out. And I, I, the one thing I liked about those bugs is that usually they didn't want to pay for shipping to send the hardware back. It wasn't worth it. So I was like free video card upgrade. Well, audio, right. because I was working on audio, but it was like free hardware upgrade and put this in my dev box. Hell yeah. Um, but it usually was three or four days of digging through this and debugging line by line of code of, of their shitty driver code that we you know, didn't even have the source for. So it was assembly. And going, okay, so the spec clearly says that you need to reset the IRQ after this line of code, and you're actually holding it high up until here when your system sends another interrupt and you're in a bad state, and that's the reason you're blue screening the system. You guys fucked up. Go fix your bug. And, and then they're like, oh, thanks for debugging that for us. I'm like, yeah, well, thanks for wasting three days of my fucking life. Your bad state has now put your customer into a bad state of their own. Well, we, we were never horrible enough to send people to California. No. Oh, well, well that's nice because that's that's really punishment above and beyond what you should be doing. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Glenn Beck, who a lot of people know, does a radio show, does it has his little own uh, well television network, but it's all over the IP. I think now, although, I, OK, maybe some cable companies carry it. He is starting something new as of today, which I thought was interesting, maybe for our show, 
for the concept anyway, which is, you know, the way we do Glenn show Beck is starting something for our show. Well, uh, he's starting something which I thought might be interesting to implement on our show, oh. which is he's sending out you know, like we do the newsletters. He is sending out now before his radio show. Like we have, you know, show notes, which is basically usually just a bunch of links. Well, he does, too. Yeah. And he's sending them out before the show. So people that are listening can already have this information in hand and see what is coming up on that show, which I thought was it's an interesting way of doing it, because a lot of shows and a lot of podcasts, including No Agenda, you know, they do their show and then they release the content with the links and with the notes. Doing it beforehand is actually an interesting concept that I'd never thought of before. Is it stupid or is this, uh, you know, well, is this genius? First of all, you have to presuppose that we're that organized. Well, true. That's work. I get it. Um, I mean, my notes aren't always finalized until until I, I check them in and, you know, commit them to my Git repo. And uh, it, it, I don't know. What you describe would be useful for the what seventy people or so that we get listening to a live show, um, but as you said, we're close to a thousand people now who are downloading, and all of them are getting the full experience from just publishing the notes afterward. They're getting the whole load. Yeah, if they want the whole load, some people would dodge that shit. I just thought it was interesting, and I also thought it was interesting the link I sent you the other day and the service that I had never heard about. But of course, I've been following along with Adam Curry and his podcast index, podcasting 2.0 and all of that. And one of the things that they're getting baked into this podcast standard now is show transcriptions, which we've talked about this from day one, because we are such a free form show. It's hard for people to know what the show is about. There is a lot when you break it down, there's a lot of content. I, I want to be clear. That's another reason why publishing the show notes first wouldn't work is because until we do the show, you and I don't usually even know what we're going to talk about because we don't compare notes before the show. We just, you know, every once in a while, I'll come to you be like, well, I've got a Wikipedia story and you're like, oh, okay. And then you don't even tell me what you're doing. So you always blindside me with these links. And then all I can do is make sarcastic comments. But, um, Wait, you'd be I, I, able to yeah. do more if I gave you this information up front? I could I could prepare and rehearse my sarcastic comments <laughs> sooner. That would that would uh I don't know if that would increase the quality of the show, but it would increase the quality of the sarcastic comments. That's true. I, I can't argue with that logic. But having podcasts, that's the biggest problem because web pages, we all know about search engine act optimization. And that's the way traffic gets to websites overall. And podcasts have never had that ability. Also known as as sucking on the spigot of Google. Right. Which, I mean, that's the way traffic comes in. I mean, it was it's still scary if you believe the stats that are being thrown around now, because Google, of course, is under the microscope that I mean, it was a what, 90 something percent of all search traffic is Google. And if you want to be found, I guess that's where you have to be. Until something happens that breaks them up or until a competitor can actually go you know, side by side with them or at least start to make a dent in the amount they're, of traffic. And, and while it's not particularly a story yet, I will point out that I'm, I'm seeing when, when trolling for news stories, I'm seeing rumblings from people saying that Google should be broken up. And when some of these people are in Washington, D.C., 
it's something to look to for the future might happen. Who knows? Yes, because this is where you need to be, though. And with a podcast, especially a podcast like ours, two hours long, we give the links. We do keywords about the stories that we talk about, but there's no easy way. Well, there was no easy way to get a really good text representation of the show. But there is a service now, and it's not actually all that expensive, which was the uh, the impressive thing for me. And this is what uh, Adam Curry was talking about. He said he's going to start using this for all of his shows. So I figured, well, we are good disciples of the Podfather. Let's take a look at this. And it's a website. Uh, it's otter.ai, O-T-T-E-R dot A-I. And there's a free version, of course, so you can try it out. The professional version is like 10 bucks a month, which isn't bad because what did I say? It gives you like 600 hours or something of transcriptions per month, which is pretty oh, good, which is almost enough for how much con- how many shows we're putting out. Yeah, it's all it's, it's enough. It's enough to do the current shows and a few of the old shows as well. If you want to update all of the files and I tried it I with one of my episodes of Random Thoughts and the uh, the way it actually can go through and recognize what is being said. It's not perfect. It's not 100 percent. But I don't know if you got a chance to look at the transcript. I, I, was- I, I did. I did take a look at it. Uh, the thing that amused me the most was when it thought there were two people. And so it would <laughs> it would have you talking and then go, you know, speaker number one talking and then it would be you again and then speaker two and then you again. The paid version. Like, program. May, may, maybe that I, I don't know. Maybe that's your secret for random thoughts is that you actually are two people. That would help because people want to hear a, a conversation. The uh, program is mentioning the free version is uh, limited, but of course, are, are you talking people in general or, or fans of this show? Because I don't know if we've ever tried that, which having a conversation with you and I, I think we did at least yeah. once, like, maybe by accident. Anyway. But the this service does. I was surprised. I mean, yeah. the for- transcript was was surprisingly accurate. They, they didn't pick up on the the apostrophe in your name. Correct. They. But- it wasn't perfect, but you can edit it, which is easy enough to do now for people that want to. I mean, it does require JavaScript. So, I mean, bless you. Well, for- uh, once I finally you know, tried it with that, I realized, OK, the, the feature that I found to be really, really slick was and I found this by accident was uh, it gives you a big wall of text. Now, right. I'm used to reading walls of text because that's every blog and news article and I that I read for the show. But I go to. You know, so I switch windows and then I try to switch back and I click in the middle of the wall of text and suddenly it started playing from that word. Yes. I know okay. I, that, that was a me out. It freaked me out. It's like whole and it was instantaneous. Yeah, oh, it was fast. So it's like if you're looking for a way to easily clip to I mean, podcasts love when people clip content and post it to social media. This would make it really easy to now search for a keyword. And immediately be able to find the little five or 10 second blurb, whatever you're oh, yeah. looking to. And it would make trolling Sir Carl so much easier. <laughs> See, now this you're like, Carl, do this. It's only 10 bucks a month. You need transcripts. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> I'm always pulling drops out of that. I have one. I don't. Oh, I hadn't given you one yet. It was uh, totally pulled it out. And I, I, I sent it to Adam, but he, he wisely didn't play it was uh, on WATP when John said, I feel like a Nazi. 
you had to grab that. I'm like, that had to be an ISO. <laughs> you know, Progo's pointing out you need to pay 20 bucks a month for time codes. And I, I don't know if time codes are necessary for what we're doing. It's, it's a question of what is going to be involved with the transcript being baked into the MP3. Honestly, I'm waiting for Progo to, to write a competitor that's better than this service. Yeah, that would be a good way for Progo to make a lot of money and for us to get the service free. So, Progo. Exactly. I mean, and that's the important part, right? We will be your beta testers. We'll be your alpha testers, whatever you need. We're there. See, and he, he said he was thinking about doing that. And if anybody can do that, we have a lot of dudes named Ben listening. We have cold acid. I mean, CSB is a programmer. This could be what we need. We need our own service. Now, the this doesn't but, automatically bake this stuff in. Um, I think what Adam is eventually going to want. Because if it's a lot of work and that's right off the bat, this is going to be a major time delay. When you look at the way the podcasts are put out, the way we do it, the way no agenda does it, Adam's way quicker than I am because we do a little bit of post-processing. Yeah, because you listen to the. Oh, yeah. No, I don't listen afterwards. I just have a um, workflow in Adobe Audition that is set up for your voice, one that's set up for my voice. And basically what it does is it makes both of our voices sound a little bit better. It's an extra noise gate in case anything soft came through. And then and, it makes and I sure have to say that software is magic because I didn't think that was possible with my voice. See, it's awesome. And then it makes sure we're both at right about the same level. And then it does a final little bit of compression and radio sound to it for mastering. And the end result, I think, stands next to any podcast out there as far as the audio quality goes. But when it comes down to producing this stuff, it does take a while for this AI to go through and give you a transcript. And then the question becomes, does the transcript that it spits out, is this good enough for you? Because there are going to be errors. So if you want somebody to actually go That's through. That's pretty much the tagline of our show, though. <laughs> there's going to be errors. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you want a perfect show, this is not the place you want to be but for like no agenda it depends is it close enough or are you a perfectionist and i can get a little ocd like that where i would want to make sure that the text was absolutely right but going through and reading through you almost need to listen to the whole show again to make sure that it got the transcription correct and of course i was just testing this on a solo show i don't know what kind of insanity would happen when two people talk over each other or three. Yes. You know, if only we had some recordings of you and I talking to each other and maybe over each other to, to try it out on. Yeah, I can do that. I'm going to test all that out. I just haven't had a chance to. But when it comes down to stuff like this, it's like, well, is it close enough to release without going through an editing? Because if you have to double check the whole transcript before you bake it into your MP3, that sounds like work. Yes. And it takes time and it may yeah. take too much time. I mean, all of this stuff is interesting. As you mentioned, there's really uh, there is a CSB also comic strip blogger, uh, comic strip wants the chapters in every podcast he listens to. So, you know, you can jump around and do all that kind of stuff. But this is also and, and I am all for crowdsourcing it and letting CSB do the work of putting chapters in. But I don't think we're going to do it. No, I mean, it, it would take too much time. And it, I mean, I not that we don't want to do the work, but. I do see where trans <laughs> I do see where the transcripts could be helpful 
in bringing new people into the show because it makes it a, it gives you a whole new way for people to search content. So this is kind of what podcasters I think have been waiting for, at least people that are covering things like we do, which is a little you know, news, current events and things where, you know, we just talked about NVIDIA a bunch. Now, if somebody's having a problem with their NVIDIA graphics card like I am now having an ability to go into something like, you know, podcast index or wherever these searches may be and be like, well, I'm looking for a podcast that's talking about NVIDIA problems. Boom. That would show up. And this would give people another way of searching through the content. And I do believe that would bring a lot more people into the show. So doing that part of the work, doing the transcript, I believe, is way more important than doing chapters. And the other beautiful thing is with this service, again, if you can go directly to the audio of the words you're looking for, that's almost better than chapters. I think that's way better than chapters. And if I recall your your biggest complaint uh, against the idea of doing chapters or at least of applying them to grumpy old bins uh, is as as you just described, this works really well with with a show like Beck, where he probably goes out and prepares. OK, I am going to do a segment on this story and right. then I'm going to move on in a segment on this story, because that is it's the regimented form that you get when you come from a, a mainstream TV news where. Every single segment is plotted down. You have seven minutes and 26 seconds to talk about this. Okay. This one, you get three minutes and 14 seconds. And we don't do that. We, we, we sure as hell don't know how much time is going to be allocated to something, but even more than that, um, we, we do bring stories, which are the germ of what we're going to talk about, but we don't have segments. We have one long two hour conversation, which just happens to be about a bunch of things. Yeah, it weaves in and out. It's a tapestry, if you will. It, it, I don't think I will, though. So it's better than others, I'm guessing. Uh, it's like a big key lime pie. Ooh. Yeah. I do like key lime. I do, too. I do. I have to make one. I mean, there was, a, there was an easy rep, a recipe uh, from Disney years ago. I mean, it was really easy to make. You just buy a pie crust. You buy some of the key lime juice. And uh, I mean, anybody can make was, it. Was it woke? Yeah. I mean, it must be now. But back then it wasn't. But it must be now. Everything Disney is so woke. I mean, I felt dirty um, buying my wife one of these uh, Legos of that was like just like the Steamboat Mickey kind of thing. And they have like a Steamboat Mickey on a on a ship, you know, with the big paddle wheel that spins. And it was you know really a cool thing. But it's like, oh, Disney, I'm, I'm starting to feel really dirty buying anything with the Disney name on it, because yeah, as you should. You know, it's it's speaking of woke. Yeah. Did did you catch the what the expensify CEO did yesterday or well, didn't do it yet. Adam mentioned it yesterday on no agenda, which was actually how I learned about it. Uh, But then I dug in on what he did. And uh, yeah, he went he went full woke. What did he Uh, do? The CEO of uh, expensify is a it's a Silicon Valley software, which is a service that handles expense accounts for companies so they they contract out to companies who need to send people who are going to be incurring expenses and they handle recording the expenses you know dinner food flight whatever i don't know what they exactly but um Hookers and blow. so so a lot of companies who send people out uh to have expenses um will rely on this well Apparently they've been around for a while and they're, you know, has gotten 
sort of big in, in the corporate space. Uh, the CEO, David Barrett is his name, uh, apparently has one of the most severe forms of corporate TDS that I have ever seen. Um, he sent out an email to every customer. Now, the number that I pulled out of the article was 10 million people. I don't know how the hell they're multiplying that because holy crap. But either way, an email to every single customer saying that uh, democracy is in danger and Donald Trump is going to destroy the world. And if you care about humanity as we know it, you have to vote for Joe Biden. And you, you know the spiel. You've seen it hundreds of times um pretty much by everybody who takes their wokeness and then turns it internal and amplifies it over and over again until they explode and go you know orange man bad and then you end up with apparently an email sent out to millions of customers um now he says that he's certainly received a lot of support from people saying that you know they support that that he was so courageous to do that but i guarantee expensify is going to lose clients over this and i have to wonder if if you are a shareholder of expensify i do will you condone your ceo doing this this is i i don't actually have much more than that the the only other thing i have in my notes is uh that the article i read contrasts it with brian armstrong from coinbase uh, who, who, by the way, a Barrett called cowardly because he <laughs> was the one who came out and said, uh, we're just doing business. We don't want politics in our business. And the the general theme here is, uh, you know, at what point um, is it OK to bring politics into your workspace, especially when the politics are orthogonal to or even in contradiction of your main goal of providing products and services that people will buy in order to make money. And more importantly to me, at least is how long is it going to be before shareholders start beating down these woke Silicon Valley activists saying you are costing us money by doing things that is not doing business and making us money. Well, that made sense. Capitalism. I mean, this is a company that thrives on capitalism. Without capitalism, there are no expenses. I mean, that, for one, is something that needs to be said. Two, if you send something out to employees, well, that's one thing. If you're sending something out to customers, that's idiotic. Because here's the problem with if you're, let's just assume everybody is within the United States that are their customers that may or may not be, but that I'm assuming is a majority of their business. Well, we know. From what we've seen go on in the United States over the last 10 years plus that we have about a 50 50 split when it comes down the political lines. Now, when you're yeah. talking about that, people, that's, that's not a coincidence, by the way, no the political parties are constantly redefining their positions in order to acquire exactly 50 percent. And there are reasons for that, but that's just naturally how a plurality system gravitates well you got your 50 50 and here's the thing people that are working in a business where they're doing expense reports i would bet you are higher than 50 percent when it comes to republican because you know it's usually when you're young and poor you're a liberal democrat when you're older and you've made some money and you don't want people to take it away you become a little bit more conservative and you go republican you know, but if, 
if it if it was the bean counting department, I would agree with that. But at the same time, we've seen what HR departments are doing. The question is, which department is handling this stuff? Well, that's the question. But either way, it's going to sink the company because here's the thing. Yeah. You send this out to your customers. Now, we're assuming 50 percent of those are Republicans, maybe Trump supporters, and they're yeah. getting an email from a company they pay telling yeah. them how to vote. Yeah. Now, I, expense reports, are, it's not a sexy area of expertise, and I don't know what kind of competition is in that space. Maybe there's not a lot, and maybe these guys are totally secure because they're the only game on the block. Yeah. But for the half of people that, that do not agree with the message, um, a significant number of those were probably rubbed the wrong way. And even if it doesn't make good business sense to drop them right away, which I guarantee there will be some people who just drop these like a bad habit, be like, you know what? We'll just do our own expenses. We don't need this shit. Yes. But even for the ones that are not going to drop expensify because it doesn't make sense financially, because these might be companies that are actually trying to provide value to their shareholders instead of just being woke activists out into the world and using your company as some kind of bullhorn. Even they are going to be like, you know, we need expense report software, but there's these other guys and we're going to take a, a much longer and harder look at them because the cost of doing business with Expensify just went up because even though the amount of money we had to pay didn't change, the having to deal with their TDS issues is now an extra burden. And I, so I guess what I'm saying is, is there are certainly going to be some people who drop the company immediately and that's easily measurable, but there's going to be a number of people who are going to wait until the two year contract is up and then go, you know, this is just a mark in the negative column for these guys. And, and there is some small portion of, of decision making that now moves away from them. And that is really hard to measure. But I that is a lot. And I think that that is the the cost that no none of these woke corporate spokespeople are ever taking into account. Well, here's the thing. It's not just the people that they sent this to that might be Republicans or conservatives. I would bet you that even the people that uh, want to vote for Biden are the, there's probably at least 20% or maybe even more of the people that are normally liberal Democrats getting this kind of an email from a company they do just business with. They're going, screw you. Don't tell me how to vote. I don't yeah. want, you know, this isn't what I need. This isn't, if this is where your priorities are, I know you're not really <laughs> looking at my business all that carefully because you're just and a bunch of woke social justice douchebags. I, I, it's exactly I, well, you, you just nailed it. But the, the point that I would bring up is going even farther. Let's let's put aside for a moment the fact that it's a very contentious election and just analyze this from a dispassionate corporate aspect. I am paying you money. We have a contract. The only relationship that we have is I give you money and you give me a service. And now. You are flooding my inbox and wasting my company's time and wasting my customer's time with information, with, with this communication that has nothing to do with that business, that contract. And time is money. Every corporate bean counter knows, which means if every single one of your company's employees, say you got a company that uses expense reports and has 
a thousand employees and each one of them took five minutes. That is 5,000 minutes worth of time that you just paid your employees for that Coinbase just stole from you. Well, it's even and and that is completely putting aside the fact that this is, you know, that that you may or may not agree with the message. Right. And there's a trust issue there. I can tell you. I mean, I get I'm on email lists for a few different companies. Now, if the local, you know, hot dog joint here, if they you know, I want to know what their weekly specials are. If they were to send out an email like vote for Biden, I'd be like, fuck you. I'm not buying hot dogs from you anymore. Same thing if they said vote for Trump. I'd be like, you know, that's not what the mailing list was for. Unless they're selling Biden. Right. Well, maybe. (laughs) Then it's just marketing. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's uh, it's it's that's what it is. That's what this is. They are uh, they are the uh, what uh, Expensify is doing here is stealing time and attention from all of its clients. And giving that to the Biden campaign in the form of a marketing message. Don't they know it, all these companies are going to go bankrupt once Biden gets elected? So Expensify is going to go out of business. Well, yeah, Trump getting elected is the best thing for Expensify because they won't be taxed out of business. But yeah. Yeah, I don't get it. Anyway, I, I just the the I don't understand. You know, I understand the the general person losing their mind and throwing away everything important in their life just for the purpose of, of screaming at the orange man. But if you are the CEO of a company, even a company that apparently has, if they have 10 million customers, then is apparently successful one. How, how do you get to that point and still have judgment poor enough to go out and, and, and do this thing that has absolutely nothing to do with your company's mission? Well, it's because the left and the people that are totally in the Trump derangement syndrome land, they don't see reality. If they did, did you see Van Jones, who is a liberal amongst liberals, man? Van Jones on CNN actually not to see him actually dared. I think they were talking about the Ice Cube thing because Ice Cube is taking a whole bunch of crap because he actually dared talk to Apparently, he forgot he was black. Yeah, that he shouldn't be talking to the current presidential administration to try to do better things for his community, because this is how fucked in the head these leftists are, which is no, no, don't let them help you. Just elect us and then we'll help you. It's like, what the I don't get it. But Van Jones actually admitted on CNN that Donald Trump has done a lot for the black community. People are calling for him to be fired now. I mean, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. You dare to speak the truth, then they're going to cancel you. It doesn't matter if you're black. Black lives don't matter. If you're somebody that will actually tell the truth and say, hey, you know what? I don't like Donald Trump. I don't like a lot that he stands for, but he's done a lot for the black community in this, this, this area. The, The wokest religion cannot abide heretics. We know this. Yeah, that's the left. It's you. It's really on or off with them. And there's no there's no admitting that Donald Trump has ever done something that wasn't horrible. And the Rasmussen poll, which is one of the few that has been somewhat correct over the last few years. Did you see that uh, last week, Monday, they did a, a poll amongst likely black voters? What is your approval rating of Donald Trump? Twenty five percent on Monday. They did another one at the end of the week after the debate. 
45%. It jumped 20 points in one week. That, I think, is something to watch going up until Election Day, because if likely black voters are at a 45 percent approval of Donald Trump, Joe Biden sunk, man. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely understand the sentiment and I'm sure that it's there. But pulling poll numbers makes me feel like we're 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 back in 2016 when Hillary was going to win with a landslide, according to the polls. I I don't know that I trust. Not Rasmussen, but. Rasmussen okay. was one of the few last time that was like, um, all you other people are a little nuts. <laughs> and they were proven to be well, right. They are. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, some of them are a lot nuts. I'm just saying. It's, it's, I mean, again, people don't understand how polling is done. They don't understand how the sample size affects things. They don't understand that in a situation like we have now in the United States, Trump supporters don't want to say they're Trump supporters. I mean, if I were to get a call, from somebody that said they were doing a poll, I would probably tell them I was voting for Biden just to fuck with them. So I, I would probably tell them to fuck off. Well, yes, that would be the, uh, uh, the and, first. And, you know, one, one of the things that that pollsters are loath to talk about in their industry is uh, I, the, the, the idea is called participation bias, which is you call, you know, you, you can create a perfectly scientific poll where you cold call 10,000 people chosen randomly. But the wrench in the works is that every single one of those people has the option of either answering and giving you data or refusing to answer or answering and lying or well, that's also not. But that's still data. It might be wrong data, but it's data. Um, But what actually does happen and and happens disproportionately between different types of people uh, for reasons we've already discussed is that apparently. in 2020, when cold called um, a, a Democrat, a registered Democrat, a, a liberal, a lefty, whatever you call them, somebody who is on the left side of the spectrum is when receiving that call is about 60 to 70 percent likely to answer and 30 percent, 40 percent likely to refuse to answer. However, amongst Republicans or, or right leaning people, that number is closer to 20% are willing to answer and 80% are hanging up the phone on the pollster. That does and, have an effect. And the result, therefore, is, and, and you know, any, any pollster worth their salt tries to adjust for this, but it's one more source of error in the poll. The result is that if you have, if you go, you know, send out 10,000 cold calls and 3,000 of them respond, that is going to be disproportionately biased toward people on the left and then you have to create yet another model to adjust your poll because you know three times as many people responded saying i'm totally voting for biden as responded voting saying i'm voting for trump and the reason is that trump voters don't want to talk to pollsters right i mean i do i do believe uh, frank luntz who's a big uh, i think he works for the republicans is uh you know their pollster and he said if trump wins the one thing is true. Pollsters are done. That job is gone because of this. Uh, you know, they were so far off with the Hillary thing. If they blow this again and they, there's a very good chance they might. I mean, at least we're hoping if that's the case. then what is the point uh, of even having we're hoping the pollsters are done? Yes, we're hoping the pollsters are done. I, you know, you, you can't help but think that that the pollsters should realize this 
and maybe take into account that and maybe I, I don't know, seek to be more accurate and not make the same mistakes before. But I, you know, if there's one characteristic of a really big old bureaucracy, it's that it's slow to turn. Yes. And maybe the pollsters just can't change their methods in four years. It's quite and possible. Maybe. And maybe all of the pollsters that couldn't change their methods and are trying the same thing they did with Hillary that didn't work. Maybe they need to be out of the business and shut down. Yes. And the pollsters who did get it right are the ones who can come in and they'll be the ones who get all the contract. It should. I'm sure. I'm sure CNN is going to go out and find whatever pollster tells them what they want to report. But anybody who wants to know the truth is going to go to the pollsters that are getting it right. We have CNN drudge. They're reporting stuff like, hey, uh, Joe Biden's got like a 95 percent chance of winning. It's like, OK, <laughs> that's uh, it's a little it's a little closer for that, especially um, I'm skeptical. Yes. With one week to go, Trump is doing like five events a day and Biden's hiding in his basement again. Biden is just unable to deal with the Hunter Biden thing. But he's, he's got the Biden's basement demographic locked. He you does know that. He does. And he's claiming still that this is just Russian disinformation. It's like, so the photos aren't real. I, you know, again, the way these things came to light could be very nefarious. I am more than willing to admit that. But it appears that the information that's been released is legit and it's some very disturbing information but joe hiding in the basement not gonna get any answers to the I, I i you know i i have my own opinions on the the hunter biden story but uh i i have been perfectly happy to not cover that on this show because it has very little to do with tech there was the laptop thing which I noticed that, you know, you were like, you know, I, it is the responsibility of every computer tech to steal the data of their customers. That's and when I didn't agree I with said. you, when I didn't agree with you, you went off on your own podcast, random thoughts and bitched me out like, oh, <laughs> well, that's OK. That's where you can't <laughs> see. Now you need a solo podcast so you can respond and then everything I, works. No, I'm I'm perfectly happy to bitch <laughs> you out to your face. But see, I said I never once in a while I need to get something out without you being allowed to interrupt. And I know if I mention that's why I'm doing it on that show, it makes you happy or grumpy. One or the I, other. It, it's the same thing. <laughs> yes, it, it's all it's all the same feeling. I liked somebody posted this uh, no agenda social, which is a great place to be. Get off Twitter. Get on no agenda social. Go to grumpy You can get it. It doesn't have link. to be no agenda social. Just go anywhere on the Fediverse. Yes. That you can speak freely. Without having your tweets deleted and replaced with a link to whatever their, their quote unquote fact checkers have their their fact makers have decided. Maybe we need our own grumpy old Ben's uh, Mastodon server as well. But the photo that was posted and this looks legit was from Waukesha, Wisconsin, from October 24th from a rally they were having there. The Wi-Fi information for the press. They have the thing network name. Make America great again. Password. Who built the cages joke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was for the press for, for them to get on the Wi-Fi. Now, how how classic <laughs> of a troll. That's, that's, that's a great troll. I like it. Yes, that is professional level trolling. Yeah, because you have to. Well, actually, yeah, you know what? The reporters don't have to do that. They've always got the the one guy who understands tech and never appears in front of the camera. And be like, uh, hey, go make this work because I refuse to type this into my phone. Right. Go sign us in. Go sign us in. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, that was trolling to the 10th degree. And I appreciate that from the president and from uh, Kaylee and from everybody. It seems that works for him. They see they seem to have the Bemro snark uh, in, in spades and they, they're able to pull it out really quickly and just eviscerate yeah. people. Well, I I. I I, of course, personally invented this, but uh, (laughs) that seems to be a characteristic of the Trump right that I mean, have you seen if nothing else go to somewhere that doesn't censor this shit and watch like no agenda social and watch the memes go by the level of sarcasm in politics has gone so much. You know, I I always remember loving the you know, there, there was always when when my dad got the paper, I was a kid. And he'd always give me the comics page because he knew I liked it. And then I realized it, it didn't take that long. I think I was maybe eight or 10 when I realized every one of these comics was formulaic and not funny. And then I went, I was like, no, I want the opinion page because the political comments were cutting sart- satire. I liked that and sarcasm. It seems like the level of sarcasm has gone up immensely in response to the divisiveness. And if you want really, really cutting witty remarks, um, you just go to any 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 local meme smithery, and you're you're gonna get it. Yeah, you'll get it in spades. But uh, it is maybe, maybe that's not good. I mean, cutting cutting sarcastic remarks are a little divisive, and that's not exactly what our country needs right now. But for the next week, what our country needs and what our country is going to get ain't exactly going to be anything like each other. No. And the next week after that or, or more is going to be really interesting to watch. Oh, I, yeah, that's right. The election won't be done on Tuesday. There's no way. I mean, th- this is where this whole thing's been set up, because remember, they, Hillary told Biden how many months ago was this already when we heard the quote, no matter what happens on election night. Now, let's remember, it's not Joe if it's close. Joe, if it, there's any question at all, it was Joe, no matter what happens on election night, don't concede. That is well, not yeah, the voice yeah, and, of rationality. And, you know, why? Why? Well, Hillary didn't concede. She just fucking lost the vote, the electoral college. But uh, it, it's what do you what? I'm sorry. I'm I'm just so disgusted. You seem yeah. You seem exacerbated. It yeah. You you killed me with that one. I am. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm too much time watching all of the norms be and 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 rules of of ethics and and you know that is done and that is not done being thrown out with this ends justify the means bullshit, which is no way to run a life, let alone a society, but seems to be the 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 way of the world anymore in politics um what what i was trying to wrap my head around is the idea that we have now had a number of places for example the pennsylvania supreme court who have said you cannot declare the election on the third because there will be more ballots trickling in and you have to wait until more ba- like the pennsylvania supreme court said you cannot declare the election until november 12th because there will be uh, remote ballots mail- coming in, trickling in over the following week. And that effectively pushes the entire election out. But what it also does is it expend- extends the time of the election so that instead of, you know, the, the way that elections have always done is is one and done simultaneously ever uh, everywhere at once. Right. And then you get a result. Why is that beneficial? 
because if you extend it over a long period of time, what you end up with is strategists going, okay, so in the first round, this is the most accurate poll we could ever have. It's the people who went to the polls on election day or all of the people who put their ballots in on time. And, oh, it looks like Trump has 56%. Great. So we've got seven days to come up with a way to shorten that gap. And then they can build a strategy of exactly where they need to throw out ballots, manufacture new ballots, uh, coerce people, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying anybody is planning on doing this, although statistically somebody is somewhere. I guarantee it. I don't know if it would be enough to sway the election. But that is why elections are always one and done is because otherwise you get somebody you, you just introduce opportunities for corruption, for graft, for cheating. Right. Well, if you're going to continue to accept ballots after Election Day, that's really I mean, otherwise, recounting is all that could be done. And and and, and I've and I watched it on. Well, I mean, now they're continuing to accept that they can just say, oh, look, here's. 300,000 Democrat ballots that all came in the next day. I don't know where they came from. They just arrived. And I mean, they they will know exactly how many ballots they need because the vote just happened. And I've lived through this in the state of Washington, where I've definitely told this story before. And, And technically, they were just recounting. But every time they recounted, they found a new box full of ballots from right. the most Democrat county in the state. Right. So it wasn't technically recounting what was there. It was, oh, wait, oh, this is this is yeah. new. It, it was recounting. But look, here's more ballots that we apparently missed last time. There have already been a plethora of stories of ballots that have been rejected for various reasons. Usually it was because of a duplicate ballot. Now, I'm, again, I'm not really sure how they tell this. and. If it comes down to depending on, you know, something that's an identifier on the outside of an envelope or something like that, which I know you have to do in Washington, you have to put your signature on the outside. But I don't know necessarily how they know if there are. And I thought was Pennsylvania, one of these states, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like 300,000 ballots. And it's like, well, they were not allowed because of various reasons. But then how do you know if they're duplicate ballots? Which ones are legit and are they duplicate because the same person accidentally sent two, which seems very unlikely that somebody would make that mistake? Or is it that somebody got the Democratic voter roll or Republican, whichever way, and decided I was going to fill out 300,000 ballots as somebody else? Our buddy that Larry from that Larry show talked about one of the last times he went to vote. He said, here, I'm Larry Blydner. And they're like, no, no, you've already voted. See, and they're showing him like that little tickets already been out of the book. And he's like, well, screw you. I didn't. That wasn't me. Well, how do you do this? How do you figure out then if there are hundreds of thousands of ballots that come in and they're marked down as duplicates? How do you determine which one of those is the correct ballot? You can't. Well, in the current system here, here's what you have to do. You have to trust your secretary of state who happens to be a partisan elected position. Yeah. That's. Uh, there, there is almost no transparency in most of these elections, and I applaud the states that have put transparency in their election. But the 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 COVID overreaction, which caused all of these states to suddenly and at the last possible moment change how their elections are done, is going to throw so many things in chaos. It, it's 
it's going to be completely disgusting the amount of graft and corruption that is going on in this election because all of the the tried and true methods and all of the standards for how things have been done in the past have been thrown out by this manufactured panic over uh, a flu virus well no 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 it's not the flu don't you know according to the daily mail and this is a brand new article so up to date oh boy has covid killed off of the flu experts pose the intriguing question as (laughs) influenza cases across the globe have nosedived by 98 percent the flu is gone well i'm Nobody has died of of, uh, uh, heart disease or cancer or uh, gunshot wounds since March either. No, they have, especially here (laughs) in in Chicago. But I um, I mean, I guarantee not one person since March has died of old age. No, of course not. (laughs) Of course not. Uh, It's really interesting here. Like even in Australia, just 14 positive flu cases were recorded in April compared to 367 april of 2019 and by june usually the peak of its flu season there were none in fact it says australia has not reported a positive case of the flu since july it's almost as if this this medical industry uh in whom we have been expected to put the the balls of our economy uh is almost like they aren't quite as infallible as we want them to be yes in chile just 12 cases of the flu between April and October last year in Chile during the same period, 7,000 this year, 12. So where's the flu gone? It's hiding from COVID. (laughs) Okay. I don't blame it (laughs) for that, but this is the very intriguing thing when you start looking at this, because the numbers that we're getting are nothing short of fear porn. I mean, there are people that are getting this pathogen whether it's any different than the flu or this is just the flu, because, you know, if there were both that were existing, I mean, I would think the flu, you would still have reports, although to be fair, normally during normal flu seasons, people don't go and get a positive flu test. You're sick. You get better unless you wind up in the hospital with pneumonia. Usually there's no flu test like, oh, we want to verify they have the flu. No, that's not how it goes. Back in my day, we didn't even get a flu shot. We just ate dirt to strengthen our immune system. But you look at the number. I mean, again, the number of the, again, we, we died early back in my day, but uh, whatever you did. I right. mean, we're still waiting for you to be resurrected. But in a normal, uh, the, the first step to resurrection is voting Democrat. You have like what? Two hundred and twenty thousand deaths from this so far this year. And this started in January. So we're pretty much going through the year. There will be a few more, I'm sure. So what it'll be by the end of the year, I'm just guessing, you know, maybe about 250,000 to the high end, 300 if something really jumps somehow. But the reality is a normal year in the United States of the flu, 65,000 people die of that already. So, I mean, you're talking about a magnitude of like four times worse than the flu. But since the flu has disappeared, that kind of then has to be added into those numbers. And I mean, every I don't think people understand almost one percent of the population dies every year in the United States. You know, it's close to three million people. That's why we constantly have to make new people. Right. Well, and and making new people is fun. Well, that's true. That's uh, it's a it's a team sport and you want to get together with your partner and go people making. 
But this yes. is an important story. I think the fact that we're also being sold the fear porn now of what happens if we get a twin demic? What if the flu and COVID coexist and everybody gets it? Well, well right then, now, then, yeah, then the people who were already had comorbidities and were, you know, fucked respiratorily are going to get both diseases and but they can't die twice. Well, no, you, you can't in Chicago, too. You can vote when you're oh. dead. You can die twice. You can die. It's, it's an interesting uh, concept that we got it, running. It, yeah. The, the physics in Chicago are just weird. It, yes. The things that happen here, you don't really want to know how it's how it's working. But, you know, those are the kind of stats that you have to look at. And I don't think the average person that goes to CNN or any of these other sites to look at how many people have died of covid and when they see two hundred and twenty thousand, whatever it's at. I don't think they're able to put this into perspective that three million people a year die in the United States as it is. It's not like we went from nobody dies to 220,000 people have died. I believe that the actual death rate overall is down because when you have people locked down, you know, they're not having accidents. I mean, I think there was like, if I remember the stats correctly, like 170, 180,000 people a year like die from accidents, you know, auto accidents, walking in front of a bus, whatever it is. So it's almost COVID is almost at just that rate of what people die, just living, just driving their car, walking down the street, all the things we normally do. So, yeah, has it maybe doubled your chance of dying, but it hasn't made it like, oh, you're you're a goner no matter what. It's still a very low number. And the fact that they're, they have pivoted to just talking about cases and not hospitalizations or deaths, that's a big deal. Because cases mean nothing. You know, I, I, I wasn't going to bring this article. It was from 2017, but it happens to be open up in a tab right now uh, because I was reading it. And it is very relevant to uh, what you just described. It is from the uh, <clears throat> uh, B.org. That's a foundation for economic and education. It, they, they can be called libertarian, but only in so much as understanding e- economics correctly is apparently a libertarian thing now because the <laughs> left and the right have abandoned it. Yes. Spend, uh, spend, spend. Yeah, that that that's the new that that's the new call from the two major parties. So uh but the article is if American healthcare kills, European healthcare kills more. And it starts from the premise that is pushed around by uh politicians like Bernie Sanders, Paul, you know, or or by anybody who is an advocate for, well, America just needs universal health care like all these other countries have because so many people are dying because they don't have access to health care. Right. And uh, like I said, the, the article is from 2017, but it pulls a bunch of numbers. Um, the estimates for uh, people who, uh, the, well, the, the estimate of how many people die because they don't have access to health care in the United States. Um, the number is very contested, but if you ask some people, it's, you know, it could be zero, but let's call it 10,000 people a year die from not having enough education health care in the United States or a, a very high estimate, uh, which is um, from a 2016 uh, study is 45,000 people per year die, which, okay, 40, 45,000 people, not a small amount. Those are the people who die. For no reason other than they needed health care and they couldn't afford it under the U.S. system. So then the we go through and we estimate, OK, well, 
how many people are dying because they needed health care, uh, a heart transplant or, you know, things that are technically elective because they are not emergency room operations. But you will die if you don't get it within, say, three months or four months or however long. Right. And how many people are dying from the waiting lists in these other places? Um, I'm not going to read all of the stats, but what they come down to is um, the median number of uh, let's see, study by the Fraser Institute in Vancouver. Uh, yeah, where said, Canada has a lot of issues. Yeah. Well, it says the effect of wait times on morality and on mortality in Canada. <laughs> well, you know, you have to wait a long time for uh, more morality too. Yeah, that might be. Um, but anyways, a study by the Fraser Institute is estimated that increases in wait times in the Canadian health system for medically necessary care in Canada between 1993 and 2009 may have resulted in between 25,000 and 63,000 additional deaths uh, as a result of the Canadian health system. It takes weeks and weeks and weeks to see somebody. Yes. Uh, Now, the median of that is 44,000 and change between those two numbers. So already we're looking at, okay, about the same number of people died. But now you adjust for the fact that the U.S. has nine times more people in Canada. And so you're looking at if the Canadian healthcare system, as is, were brought to the U.S. and you just extrapolated those numbers straight across, then you would save the lives of 45,000 people who didn't have access to healthcare because it wasn't free. And you would cost the lives of 400,000 people who needed care and the healthcare system was so fucking slow that nobody could get it. No, no, no. It'll be nobody's done it right. Canada is just dumb. They haven't done it right. That's what Bernie so, would tell you. Th- this article also it takes shots at uh, the universal system in I want to say Belgium. Uh, it definitely takes shots at uh, the system in the UK uh, quite a lot. And uh, basically, um, it, oh, one of yeah, one of the things they pull up is uh, they're talking about strokes, which is one type of condition that is seriously condition uh, or dependent on how fast you get care. And in the U S only Japan and Korea have a lower rate of mortality from stroke than anyone else in the country. Because if you have to wait six weeks after a stroke, that permanent brain damage has screwed you up and you're probably going to die. But if you get care within two weeks after a stroke for whatever it broke, you can usually repair it. Right. So it's another thing that they called out. Anyways, um, I'll drop this article in the show notes. It is very interesting. It's from 2017, and it pretty much calls out that um, having fast access to health care is far, far more important than having free access to health care, especially when you consider that the U.S. healthcare system is not fully capitalist and nobody is turned away for an emergency room for not having their credit card out. Right. And the concept that any healthcare system can be 100% effective and that nobody's going to slip through the cracks. That's never going to happen. I don't care how pie in the sky you want to get. So unfortunately, bad things are going to happen. In a case like this, the only thing you can hope to do is to mitigate all of that and make that number as low as possible. And the numbers that you're talking about from Canada make sense. We've talked about that previously here on Grumpy Old Ben's. My dad worked for a company that was bought by a Canadian company and their executives, when they needed stuff done, you know, they needed cancer treatment or something. 
they came to the United States because exactly what you just talked about. The wait times are ridiculous. And if you need care quickly, you're not getting that in Canada. You're not getting that in the UK. You're not getting it anywhere. This socialized medicine works because they don't prioritize the people in a way that makes sense. And they never will. And uh, because no matter how much you decide to legislate away the uh, economics, um, economic reality will come knocking. Uh, It it is straight up supply and demand. And and in in particular, uh, uh, price controls, rent controls, uh, the moment that you put price controls on anything, this is a well-established economic fact. As soon as you put a price control on something, you reduce the supply. And if the demand doesn't change, in fact, uh, you know, limiting prices will increase demand and reduce supply. But that means that the amount in, in every case where, you know, if a market is free to move on its own, the supply and demand curve always naturally settles out at the maximum. But the moment you put some kind of restriction on the supply and demand curve, the new place it settles out is guaranteed to be lower than whatever throughput you could get if both were allowed to move freely. And in the case of putting a price control on healthcare, you are strangling the supply. You are reducing the total amount of healthcare supply available. Uh, you can't, as a normal supply and demand curve would do, you can't raise prices as a result. But the thing that goes up, the cost that goes up instead is your wait time is your access to doctors. And that is the problem with every, you can't just magically let throw, you know, sign a legislation and suddenly economics goes away and we have free unlimited doctors everywhere. The moment that you say all healthcare is fixed price, the number of people who are incentivized to become doctors goes down. The number of doctors who are willing to put in extra time goes down. Uh, you, you completely, uh, you know, the, the amount of innovation done, right. uh, you, how, how much, how many amazing new drugs are coming out of the U S now compare with the amount of new drugs coming out of, of say the UK, it, it, it's not even comparable The the in economic incentives for developing a drug in the U S are huge. Uh, there are some other problems with that, like the, the vaccine indemnification and the vaccine indemnification. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but with the innovation too, also things like they have the Da Vinci robot now, which is what they used to do my gallbladder surgery a year or so ago, almost maybe two years ago now. But that's what they're using for my mom's colon cancer when she gets it done next week. And these are the kind of devices that if you totally cripple an industry like this, innovation goes to crap and overall healthcare goes down. And that's yeah. That's just sad that people can't I mean, see if, that if, if we as much as I will pitch shit at the drug industry as it is implemented today for being extremely corrupt, they are, in fact, developing advances in medicine at a, a, an impressive rate. And, you know, I watch this. My my wife has a, a chronic medical condition and seeing the available treatments today that let her have a very normal uh, quality of life um, versus the treatments from 20 years ago where uh, this was kind of a death sentence because you just couldn't have a normal life ever is is really amazing. And I am happy for 
the advances that we've had. And if if we were in a situation where there were government rent controls on all medical care, a lot of those advances just straight wouldn't have happened. There was no economic incentive for people to go out of their way. Well, right, because and, in a socialist world, you put a price on somebody's head and you go, oh, what is this person worth compared to what the care is going to cost and go, you know, it's just better if they die. Well, I mean, I would I, I'll say that anyway sometimes. But see, the, the beautiful thing is that I'm not in charge of whether or not <laughs> someone else dies. And I don't want to be. Hell no. Yeah. Don't put Ryan in charge of anything like that. And, and, and you know, socialism sounds like a really great idea. Communism sounds like a really great idea where everyone is equal. But that is does not work. The fallacy. Because there's always going to be somebody at the top making the decisions and that person is very 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 not equal to you i don't understand how does that work because everybody should be equal maybe we should go back to tech stories <laughs> well we have Getting a, good a little one. excited about this speaking of not equal this was on both of our list which i always this is a rarity actually um yeah it's actually we, we're usually pretty good about it, paying attention to totally different stories yeah we have our different lanes and when they converge you know it's a decent sized story and in this case this was all over the place. The fact that GitHub broke, bowed down, I should say, to a DMCA takedown and took the program, whatever you want to call it, the project, the YouTube slash or uh, dash DL down because of a DMCA notice. And this is the first time that this has ever been done, which was the DMCA notices are normally for, hey, that's my music. That's my video, whatever it is. Nobody has a right to post that to remove that because it's my content. This is the first time this has been used to go after a program that will allow you to download anything. And that, I think, is a very dangerous first step. Well, it's it's definitely not the first time they've done that. I you you remember Napster? <laughs> yes. I mean, it, as long as there have been MP3s, the RIA has been trying to shut down programs that let you get them easier. But uh so the way that YouTube works at, at the risk of heavily oversimplifying one of the largest websites in the world um there are two parts to YouTube there is the part that serves videos and there is the part that shows you your recommendations and uh tries to manipulate you and tracks you and does you know the the, the UI right the pretty the stuff front um and a lot of people, myself included, do not want to subject themselves to the YouTube front end because it's awful, because it's manipulative, because it tracks you, because it, et cetera. There, there are a number of things we've definitely called out, um, but it's often the only access to the back end, which is the part that serves videos, which is the part you actually want. Um, you know, in the past, I've, uh, I've, I've used Invidious, which um the the main invidious project got shut down it was open source but uh other sites have popped up some of them work some of them don't but it's difficult um so the way that the the youtube works again at the risk of oversimplifying is whenever you click you want to watch a video in the front end uh it runs a little bit of code which generates a cipher um it it, it is encryption in the same way that rot 13 is encryption it it has some obfuscation and a really trivial algorithm that is easy to break, but it it is encryption. And for the purpose of DMCA, that's the key. 
uh, because what it does is it runs this little cipher and it uses that as an index to go get the video from the video server. And that way, uh, or the way YouTube DL works is uh, they went to the YouTube site, they pulled apart the JavaScript and they figured out the algorithm from this cipher and they re-implemented it in Python. And so YouTube DL, you go, you run it and it will, you say, I want the, this video and it implements its own, you know, re-implemented version of the cipher algorithm and then goes to the backend server and says, give me this video. The backend server is like, oh, okay, well, you know, go, you got the right key. Right. Um, The reason that the DMCA applies is because technically that is encryption and re-implementing the algorithm is circumvention of encryption. Uh, And the, and then the RIA, of course, you know, copyright, you know, the funny thing is the vast majority of stuff on YouTube is not copyright or, well, I mean, it's all copyrighted in one way or another, but it's not owned by RIA, not owned by, uh, you know, big copyright holders with, with the keys to the takedown algorithm and so on. Uh, the vast majority of it is something that some dude uploaded and is like, yeah, please everybody use. And YouTube DL works on those the same as it works on copyrighted songs. Right. One of the places where the YouTube DL authors really royally fucked up was in their, uh, read me one of the examples <laughs> they give, which was pulled out of their test cases. They have test cases in there, which download a copyrighted song. Now, if their test case had downloaded a cat video, then the RIA would not have a leg to stand on. But the fact that they had a test case and an example showing how to download a copyrighted song meant that the RIA was perfectly within their rights to go in and say, see, this is a tool used to steal my copyrighted content. And it's going to be really hard to argue that it isn't. And I think that was a major fuck up because. Uh, YouTube DL absolutely has uh, very legitimate uses of uh, if, for example, you decide that you want to uh, record something using your camera direct to YouTube so that people can watch the live stream, then YouTube is the only way that the place it exists. And now if you want to download your own video, the YouTube front end doesn't really allow that. Well, the back so, end does if you're a creator. So there's that. They allow that if you can download your own do videos. They? Yes. Okay. Well, I, I've never uploaded anything to YouTube. I don't have a Google account. Fuck that place. But just the idea of, I mean, there are legitimate uses for YouTube DL. And well, yeah. I think that by putting copyrighted music as one of their examples, they are going to become labeled now as a copyright tool. And that is going to make it a lot harder for people to use this legitimately. Well, yeah, and there are there are reasons that people would want to use this one. If you're going somewhere where you're not going to have Internet connectivity, but want to watch some videos, then saving them to your device probably makes a lot of sense. That uh, seems to be a legitimate use for this, because a vast majority of things on YouTube, you're not assuming they're going to get taken down, which is where the trying to show any kind of damage. I'm not because I'm totally assuming that anything I post to YouTube will get taken down. Well, you, but I'm saying if somebody, okay. you know, if, uh, you know, Taylor Swift posts her latest video onto YouTube, I think it's going to be there in perpetuity and it's never going to be taken down. So if you are able to grab that and put it on your own computer to play it anytime you want without using your bandwidth, how is that any different than just going back to YouTube and playing it? If the video still exists, on YouTube, you are not harming oh. anyone because it's there freely 
Although I guess they'll say, well, then we can't we can't give you an ad before it plays. Well, that that, that is exactly <laughs> the difference uh, from from the perspective of the user's needs. There's no difference. Uh, but from the perspective of the needs of the people who uploaded it, you know, Google needs their ad impressions. They need their tracking data. Uh, the people who put the thing up need their ad impressions. Um, the entire industry has decided that they are better served by forcing you to run their front end YouTube code and view ads and have your attention stripped from you before each view instead of just letting you download it. Yes. And it's interesting that the different ad blockers and stuff that works because I watch YouTube on my Roku every now and then. And I feel dirty having a Roku every now and then. But I know Adam Curry still uses it and he's off the grid. So if he can still use a Roku, I can. And uh, if it runs through my secondary router, which goes through the uh, the service, the unlocator for watching things like uh, Major League Baseball, you know, anything that there are blackouts on that takes care of just through DNS alone. If I'm going through that router, it's using the DNS from the unlocator in YouTube through the Roku shows me ads. Now, if I go back to my, you know, via Wi-Fi then and connect to my normal router, which has the pie hole, magically no ads on YouTube. Yeah. It's a much different experience. So anyways, uh, what happened this time around was that the uh, the DMCA takedown notice, it wasn't given to people who run YouTube DL. For one thing, they're actually not that easy to find. Uh, the notice was given to Microsoft uh, uh, GitHub right. saying uh, this page will or violates our copyright and therefore it needs to be taken down. Um, Microsoft having, you know, on the one hand, being a giant pussy of a corporation who gives into any and all copyright demands. But on the other hand, also being a very large corporation with very deep pockets who could get really, 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 really fucked if uh, a valid copyright claim were a lawsuit were taken against them um they took it down and so uh, the real effect here is that the source code mirror of youtube dl is no longer on available on github uh, i say mirror because the original source code is still available at youtube dl.org i think i'll uh, check the um the youtube dl still have their servers they still have their site they still have the source code uh, one thing that I have noticed is that tens of thousands of people have downloaded the full source tarball, including me, by the way, because whenever something gets censored, the one of the first reactions, the the Streisand effect is lots of people are going to archive it. Right. Uh, a lot it. more people are interested in YouTube DL now. Uh, right. And <laughs> here's the problem with that downloading that tarball uh, because it is practically a scraper um google can change the algorithm to generate their cipher at any time and all they have to do is change the front and back end together and boom all of the downloaders are broken all of those source code tarballs that people have downloaded are now useless because they use the wrong cipher in order to keep a tool like this working it need it needs constant input from developers who are going to be decompiling and, and, you know, trying to you know, re-implement every single time right. Google makes a change. Right. It's whack-a-mole. It's kind of like when yes. I had the device to reprogram the direct TV 
cards way back in the day that, you know, it seemed like every few days you had to do it again because there was a new patch and it was a it was a cat and mouse game. And that's the exact same thing here. But the legality of the software itself, I can't see where that would actually be illegal. I mean, just because you can do something with it doesn't mean that the source code itself should be illegal. And this is where we're running into a bunch of different issues now when it comes to this type of thing, when it comes to computer code to figure out, you know, how are these things going to be looked at in the courts? I don't think we even talked about there was another big story on the deep fakes. Uh, I guess what you would the this deep fake space that uh, we've we talked about on, on random thoughts. And I think here when the program dropped, it was again, I think it was on GitHub where it was called like deep nudes or something like that. And once it got public, uh, people knew about it. It was pulled off and maybe rightfully so. Now there are bots and I had no idea because I don't really use Telegram, but for the people that use Telegram, you might have more information on this than I, but you can run bots, I guess, on Telegram. Use Telegram. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is the ability to run bots that you can now send photos to the bot and it will send you back the deep fake nude. And I guess they've improved the quality of it. And if you want to pay them, as if it wasn't easy enough to get porn already. Right. Right. And that's well the intriguing part then is, you know, taking photos and adjusting them and you know what those can be used for. I mean, you can use your imagination and it could be used for anything from blackmail to just ruining somebody's. We know now in this woke world, you can easily ruin somebody's life by just posting one photograph that everybody will just jump to and be like, oh, my God, that's real. I mean, Hunter Biden, for instance, right now is going, hey, deep fake. Oh, yeah, that's what this is. It's a deep fake. And you don't know. You don't know whether or not it's legitimate. But the fact that this has become so normalized uh, my, for me, the evidence that it's legitimate has nothing to do with uh, whether or not the pictures are valid and has everything to do with the reactions to it, especially on the part of the Biden camp who did not say that the whole story was fake early on. Yes. Oh, no, they've been very clear. And it's interesting when you see what or, Joe or, says or about it. Biden's sworn protectors, the mainstream media who moved to censor every aspect of the story. And you know what? In, in today's day and age, I'm just telling you that that widespread censorship of a story does nothing more than lend credence to it might be true. Yes. Well, you notice what Biden said, not that the photographs or the emails weren't legitimate. He gave the usual walk around, which was, well, you know, Rudy Giuliani and, you know, Trump and, you know, you know, you know what this is. Well, no, I don't. Yeah, but for all we know, <laughs> Biden was in a fever dream. Yeah. Well, that that's possible. But this is interesting stuff for me when it comes to computer code. And, you know, somebody writes code that, you know, virtually strips the clothing off a woman. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise that there's no version that does this to guys. I mean, I don't think this is a surprise no, because, because it's not much of a stretch to ask some guy, hey, can you get your clothes? I'm all right. Yeah, that's fine. I could do that. Um, you're right. It is much harder the other way. So it makes sense. But so, of course, this is sexist then when it comes down to that. But the question then becomes for our society is, do you want the computer code that will take somebody's picture 
and use its AI learning, whatever it's doing to try to match that up with the other images that it has and to make that fake nude. Do we want that to be legal or illegal? And that well, starts the domino. I'm generally effect. not. I'm generally not a fan of using any. Uh, my default state when you ask, should something be illegal is no. Right. Um, I, mine, too. And and more importantly, we have lots and lots of evidence ever pretty much since the beginning of technology that making a technology illegal does absolutely nothing to uninvent it or prevent people from using it who want to use it. Correct. It it has a little bit of a chilling effect on a, the growth of the technology. But for the most part, you, you don't uninvent technology. So do I think it should or shouldn't be? It doesn't really matter. Um, the technology exists. The technology is going to get used. Welcome to the new normal. Well, but yeah, but that depends on how things are going to be treated. And I mean, one, I understand that that particular software can be used for some really douchey things. No question yes. about it. But the other side of that is, well, who gets to decide which of the software is good and which is bad and which could be used? I mean, you can run people uh, over you with know your what? car. I'll do it if you need. Okay. And, uh, I don't know if that's the barometer the world wants, the Bemrose barometer, but maybe you could do worse. <laughs> you know what? You're absolutely right. And uh, <laughs> I hate to admit that, but on that particular case, you're absolutely right. But it does add to some interesting conundrums. There's no question about it when it comes to tech, because you're right. You can never put the genie back in the bottle. The technology exists. It can be done. And unfortunately, we're going to live in a world where anything you see when it comes to photographs or video moving forward from here, all has to be questioned whether yeah. it's legit. It's, it's scary and humans will have to adapt. And I think one of the, you know, a big part of that adaptation is going to be that we no longer blindly trust uh, an image or video whenever we see one. I mean, right now, the, the reason that deep fakes are so insidious is that people are used to saying, Oh, that's a photo. I it looks like it could be a valid photo and therefore I believe that it's true. Right. And Seeing is believing. It, and you know, once once the old fogies like us who who grew up with seeing is believing are out of the picture, there will be people, you know, the world will be populated by people who grew up where deep fakes were a thing and people won't just trust a video. And we'll we'll adapt somehow. We might come up with new ways. You know, there are there are algorithms out there that you even filters you can apply the, to an image to try to figure out heuristically if it's been photoshopped. Uh, we'll come up with tools that allow us to you know develop a confidence on whether or not an image is real. We'll develop a healthy skepticism about images that we see and. I, I think, you you know, if there's one thing that humanity has always done, no matter what happens, you know, at least until we kill ourselves off with a nuclear blast or something, um, it's we adapt. You know, the bright side, us old guys, we could just be photoshopped right out of the frame. It's what most people do before <laughs> they tag me in photos. <laughs> but the, the photos, it's like there's the before and after where there's yeah. you're in one and They'll then. Wait, where's Ryan? They'll, they'll post a photo where there's like a big blob on the photo where it's all been wiped off. And then they're like, this is Ryan. <laughs> I can see that. Well, you are. You're very, uh, you know, secure in wanting your privacy protected. 
So, I mean, that's if you're if you have really good friends, they post the photos and they blur you out. Well, the the best way to protect your privacy is not to develop any friendships. <laughs> well, you know, I know you've been working on that for many years now, and I I hear that's going well. I hear that's going well. But the best way to protect your privacy oh, yeah. also. I, I got a, I've got a few diehard Klingons that will not they will not block and write me off yet, no matter how hard I try. Kapla. But I'm working them down. Yes. Yes. Kapla. Um, experts warn of privacy risk caused by link previews and messaging apps. And this is something, again, I should have thought of. Duh. I, and I never have, though. I never really considered the fact that if somebody sends you a link, your messaging app, in order to show you the preview, is has to visit the link. Yes. Even if you don't click on it, which means yeah. ultimate honeypot. Yeah. And, and when when that link contains, you know, some kind of tracking cookie or just, uh, you know, it, you, you send a unique link to each person. Yes. And, you know, that if something goes to that unique link, then, oh, look, this person must be online and looking at their feed right now. And you have Facebook's their IP address. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. The, the big Silicon Valley have known this forever. It's one of the reasons why. They really like the idea of having previews in apps is because that, I mean, every single thing, Facebook loves to know when you have the app open. And so they do. Well, what I didn't realize is other ways of getting, if you send somebody a link to a program, you know, to a file, it will download the, it will download it. There was a windows messenger, I think, or maybe a Facebook messenger. Yeah. Will download up to a 2.6 gigabyte file. So, I mean, you want to screw what somebody's bandwidth? <laughs> I mean, uh, well, one one thing that has definitely happened in the last ten years is uh, all of the apps, all of the Silicon Valley creations uh, are are created with the assumption that bandwidth is free and unlimited. Right. Which it's and, not. and if it's not, then you have to curb your usage of these things yourself because you cannot count on an app maker to do that right so i mean that's why with the xfinity that we have for the cell phone i turn off mobile data all the time especially when home i mean there's a times when i go out and i'll turn it on if i really need it for something if i'm not near a wi-fi hotspot which we always use vpns with of course but this is yeah i mean if you're paying per, per gig and somebody could just send you a link that will have it download like two and a half gig in the background you could cost somebody some real money real quick yep and that is when, you know, if, if the app is decent, there's usually a way to turn off fetching links. Yes. The preview, it says several apps, including Discord, one of your favorites, Facebook Messenger, Google Hangouts, Instagram, Line, whatever that is, LinkedIn, Slack, Twitter and Zoom all fall into the category that have no indication to users that servers are downloading whatever they find in a link. So don't use those. Well, servers downloading is a different thing than client downloading. If the servers download something in a link, well, congratulations, you just posted a link and then data moved from server to server, but that doesn't affect me very much. If somebody sends me a link, though, and just by scrolling past the message, my client downloads it. Yeah, like I said, could be a concern. And, you know, there are a lot of apps like Discord and Slack, the ones you just mentioned, where merely scrolling through your timeline is constantly downloading a crap ton of data. Yes, very much data. Even even uh, Mastodon, uh, I, although, you you know, you get a, a little what uh, the 300 by 400 
preview of the image on the default Mastodon web thing, which isn't a lot of data, but at the same time, it's still downloading shit. You know, there have been so many flawed, I mean, they talk about in this article, which is a good one. People should be reading this stuff at the hackernews.com about, you know, the things that were able to be done through TikTok and uh, all of these just security nightmares, which again, if you're using any of these things, you kind of get what you deserve and everybody uses them. So I guess there's that, but I never really even thought about how easy it was to get somebody's IP addresses to send them a link via a text message. You know, we live in a post-privacy era. It seems that way. Participating in society today means giving up all privacy and walking around the net naked. No, no, that's I don't know what you shouldn't be doing that. It's called a callback to the beginning of the show. Right. All oh, right. That's God. why we can't do. And, are you new to this radio thing? Hey, how you doing, everybody? Welcome <laughs> to the Grumpy Old Ben's podcast. We're talking about privacy with Ryan Bemmeros, former Microsoft employee. So uh, what is your uh, viewpoint of what's been going on in the world today, Ryan? Um, fuck Wikipedia. <laughs> OK, but why? Uh, well, the particular incident that happened recently and and i know this made some news was uh a uh a reasonably contentious at least as contentious as it gets for wikipedia um deletion discussion for the page list of scientists who disagree with the scientific consensus on global warming okay now here's uh, a, my which, first question would be this page was it put up in order to help support those scientists or was it put up to shame them and dox them and try to have them killed because they dare go against global warming i suspect both okay but more importantly um that list constitutes what i would call um information and uh, there was a time when wikipedia was very very early that it had the potential to be the complete repository of all human knowledge um the, that you know, it started out where people were like, you know, wikis were a new thing and Wikipedia was like, here is a public wiki for all human knowledge. And people started using it as such. And about two or three years into the Wikipedia experiment, this would be in maybe 05, 04, um, there was a big internal conflict amongst the people at Wikipedia. Uh, there were the people who wanted Wikipedia to be open to all forms of knowledge and there were the people who wanted wikipedia to be nothing more have no more scope than you would see in a hardbound encyclopedia which uh, i uh, to me that idea is ridiculous because hard drive space is not limited like shelf space and space for paper between bindings yes and new findings come to light but the the group that won is the ones that I, I believe at the time they were called, and I, I will continue to call them the deletionists. Uh, they were the ones who decided that any story that fails a notability standard is not notable will be deleted. And to this day, you see things deleted from Wikipedia all the time based on a lack of notability. It's this isn't very important. This isn't uh, of, of interest to lots of people. Therefore, I know that somebody worked hard to create this information, and I know that hard drive space is cheap, bandwidth is cheap, and the internet is vast and can store just about all human knowledge. But because we have arbitrarily decided that this isn't of interest to some hypothetical group of people, 
we're going to destroy that knowledge. And I, I feel like the concept of destroying knowledge is, uh, I mean, it, it is an act of censorship uh, at, at its, you know, at the minimum, but it, it also, it, it discounts the uh, knowledge to me is, is probably the most powerful thing and most important thing that humans have ever created. And we're constantly making more of it. And Wikipedia could have been, it, it could have, it could have been as big as Google. Um, you know, Google ended up being the, the go-to place when you want human knowledge. That could have been Wikipedia, but the deletionists won, and now every article is subject to this highly subjective criteria called notability. And so the page listing scientists who disagree with global warming uh, was deleted. In, and in fact, this was the ninth time that this page was up for deletion um, because they say it was not notable. Um, I think it's very notable. I did the so uh, the quote at the uh, from whatever editor or admin finally took the final poll and deleted the page. Uh, the quote was, I see a consensus here. And here was the deletion page. I see a consensus here that there is no value in having a list that combines the qualities of a being a scientist in the general sense of the word and be disagreeing with the scientific consensus on global warming. I would disagree and say, if I was researching the other side, I would want to read what these people are saying. Well, now you're just being rational and you know (laughs) that people on the left are not rational. And this admittedly is not as much a left versus right issue, but this is absolutely a science as religion versus a science as skepticism argument. And the, People who see science as religion won in this one. In eh. so, I went through the thread and I didn't read all of the comments. I wish I'd had time to do it because there would have been some fucking gems in there. But what I did do was a quick tally. Um, do you do you know what the the consensus that there is no value? You know, it, the, the the line I just read is is saying that. There is no such thing as a scientist who doesn't agree with the consensus. That that is really what that person was saying, which is fucking ridiculous on its face to anybody who understands the scientific method and the absolute necessity that in order to do real science, you have to have skepticism and you have to constantly ask questions. But the whole discussion was closed because there was no value and it's obvious we had a consensus. I went through the thread. There were 35 votes for delete and 20 votes for keep. Well, that's obviously a, a, a majority. Uh, it is a majority. It is. Uh, You're doing uh, math. I thought you were yeah, a math I'm, I'm, major. Like, you have a degree in mathematics. 63% delete. Um, that's hardly overwhelming. I would agree. I, so here's the other thing. I said that it was the ninth time. This particular page has been up for delete. Wikipedia has a concept called salt, which uh, they use it like salt the earth after we've deleted it, which is you delete a page and you delete all traces of it so that it can't be brought back. And they decided to do this this time because they didn't want to have a 10th discussion about it. Well, hello, if people are bringing it back that much and you have uh, 37% of people saying to keep it. That hardly feels like there's a consensus. That feels more like maybe this is notable enough that people are interested. 
You will believe so, what we tell you. So whenever somebody on Wikipedia brings up notability, I immediately eye roll so hard that I sprain my skull because notability is incredibly subjective. It's wielded like a giant hammer to censor things that the individual who is editing Wikipedia doesn't like. And it, I mean, this is obviously something that, that enough people, you know, 20 people, 20, um, you know, incels editing Wikipedia went in and decided that they cared enough to comment on this article. And I guarantee that's more than I would do because wading into a dumpster fire like that site is not in my purview, but 20 people out of 55 said this should be kept. Uh, there was a lot of a very strong argument that these people are notable. Even the very idea that there is a list of people, even if you think they're totally wrong, that there is a list of people who don't agree that is useful information. It's knowledge and oh, not notable. Well, and that's what's going on on Google as well when you go to search results. So it's no different. This is the problem. And this is one place where orange man bad. The guy has a point when he talks about what's going on with big tech and information. There's no question. Things are being censored. So I'm going to drop uh, a couple of other things. I went ahead and, you know, because I was interested in notability, um, I just went into the Wikipedia search and you can do this yourself, but I pulled pulled some good ones out. Uh, go to the Wikipedia search and just type the word episodes. And uh, here are some things that are notable. Um, there is a, uh, because I knew cold acid would be here and he loves this sort of thing. Wikipedia has pages on the list of Naruto episodes and the list of death note episodes because, uh, lists of anime episodes are apparently far more notable than lists of scientists about a current topic. Um, and then while I was in there on my favorite one and this wasn't anime, so I didn't want to pull it, but, um, you ever heard of the show friends? Yes. About 40% of the episodes of friends have individual Wikipedia pages for the episode. Well, that makes sense. It was a great show. I am. I'm skeptical. (laughs) You know what? I don't usually judge, but I'm going to judge on this one. I didn't like it. You know, to be fair, I did use a friend's meme to uh, accentuate my uh, tweet to PayPal about my issue earlier today and it was a ross which he's just like putting slamming his fists together and kind of like the the way you could show on tv to say you know fuck you so uh there was that now here's paypal their response was hi there exclamation point thank you for contacting paypal we apologize for any inconvenience (laughs) caused please send us a direct message with your email address associated with your paypal account in the short description of the situation we need help with we're more than happy to help you i mean now the situation I, I don't know what they didn't get from my message, which was, hey, PayPal, then all caps, because that's what you do. Fuck you and your security challenges. <laughs> As someone with shitty eyes, it is in growing increasingly frustrating not being able to log in easily. The audio version sucks as well. Figure out a better fucking system. Which part of that is not easy to understand what I need help with? You know, I can't help but think that we need to do more. Uh, it- we we might be overdue for some really good accessibility rants on this show. Yeah, I believe Although, so. Although maybe not today. Yes. No, I mean, we um, could go another eight hours. Uh, apparently, apparently my knowledge of anime is still novice because uh, our, our anime expert in the troll room says, uh, fuck Naruto and fuck Death Note. So apparently those are not in. 
If you want to learn about all that anime stuff, go to rareencounter.net and be bored to death. I mean, listen to the Rare Encounter podcast with Cold Acid from Cortese, Canada, and his buddy Abel Kirby, who's from, uh, I don't know, parts unknown. I I also saw I saw a, uh, a meme image just this morning, and I just have to mention it, was a picture of Jennifer Aniston saying, uh, don't vote for Kanye. That's not funny. <laughs> I digress. It is. I disagree. And, well, but the response to it on it was just it was it was one of the you know the the really low effort memes that's just copy a Twitter thread, and it was Jennifer Aniston saying, "Don't vote for Kanye. It's not funny." And I I I'd also disagree, but the response to it was great. It was neither was friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is something to be said. I mean, not it's not everybody's cup of tea. I mean, I thought it was a decent show for what it was, but the concept of a third party candidate. I have to ask, would Jennifer Aniston be opening her big fucking mouth if it was a candidate that was going to take votes away from Trump and help Biden Would then voting for Would that not be funny to vote for the third party? Somehow I'm skeptical. Yes, you should be. You're always, <laughs> always skeptical. And that is a good default. So anyways, if I may cap off my Wikipedia rant with a, one of my trademark overgeneralizations. <laughs> I thought you hate uh, when people do this. It, it's why i know i hate yeah i hate when other people do this oh okay it's your bit i get it it's <laughs> every single online hive mind uh you know be it uh facebook be it reddit be it wikipedia seems to necessarily move directly uh, to the left and with no data at all to back me up i am going to speculate openly that this is simply because there are more people on the left who are unemployed and have nothing better to do but waste their time editing wikipedia articles or voting up and down on reddit because all of the people on the other side all the right-wing people all the conservatives have jobs yes yes uh the other reason which might be a little bit more accurate but is no less frightening is that at least in today's age it seems like people on the left are far far more willing to employ censorship and shut down anybody who challenges their fragile little worldview whereas most people on the right seem to at least what i've seen seem to much are much more likely to employ either a live and let live or or otherwise not feel threatened by the introduction of of a uh, uh, opinion that differs yes of text of knowledge of whatever you yes. want to call it of ideas and but this is where they're going to. And that's the only reason I clipped this article from TechCrunch, who is getting harder and harder to take seriously at all on any issue because they are being overrun by leftist social justice warriors, including Jonathan Scheiber. This article that just dropped today, the headline says it all, but we'll go into it a little further. The headline is the U.S. now seems to be pinning all of its hopes on COVID-19 therapies and vaccines. Well, what? what? <laughs> right. That the United States now seems to be pinning all of its hopes on COVID nineteen therapies and vaccines. And I, I'm pinning my hopes on on people stopping for a moment, engaging some critical thinking skills, and realizing how stupid the entire situation is, and going, you know, we could just go back to the way it was. Well, no, no, not according to TechCrunch, because the article starts quote almost eight months after the White House first announced that it would move from containment to mitigation efforts to stop the spread of the COVID-19 epidemic 
The administration is now pinning its hopes on vaccines to inoculate the population and therapies to treat the disease. I mean, they're saying it like this is a bad thing, which I'm not really sure how those are bad things, but they continue. Months after announcing it would be working with technology giants, Apple and Google on a contact tracing app. Oh, now we get it. They want more data. They want the contract tracing. Uh, And nearly two months after Google and Apple rolled out their exposure notification features and initiating widespread testing efforts nationwide with the largest national pharmacies, which never received the coordination support needed, the administration appears to be giving up on a national effort to stop the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, well, I mean, I've, I've also given up on on stopping the spread of, of many things that that aren't spreading on their own anymore. <laughs> well, or that they're you know, a flu. I mean, this was this yeah. came from uh, chief of staff, Mark Meadows, White House chief of staff that was on uh, Jake Tapper's show, which yeah. I mean, we know Jake Tapper, but it went like this. Meadows says we're not going to control the pandemic. Jake Tapper asks, why not? In Meadows answers, because it's a contagious virus. <laughs> well, again, and, and that brings up the, the point that you can't. Yes. Uh, the, the idea, whenever somebody talks about we need to stop the spread, like you don't have that power. No, no, you don't. It, and that was you're, it, you're just you're just making a lot of noise and making a lot of people's lives worse for the purpose of of trying to act like you can. The. Also, you know what else we're not trying to stop the spread of the the Black Plague from the 1500s. Why? Because it's not really out in the population anymore. There's not a lot of need. Yeah, but this is so that's not that's not a good correlation. Tapper asks, why not make uh, efforts to contain it? And he says, you, you have your facts. I have mine. <laughs> he says what we need to do is make sure we have the proper mitigation factors to make sure people don't die. And that is, it's not that it doesn't spread because 99.9% of the people that get it, it is like the flu. There's no question it exists, but it's not deadly to a vast majority of people. And what we need to do is make sure we do what needs to be done to help make sure people don't die. But the tech crunch goes even further with the admission is just a final nail in the coffin for a federal response that could have involved a return to lockdowns to stop the spread of the virus or national testing and contact tracing or other mitigation measurements. Meadows' statement comes as the U.S. experiences a second peak in infection rates. There are now over 8.1 million cases and over 220,000 deaths since it was first confirmed on U.S. soil in January 20th. And then they go on in this, this bullshit that if we would have only done what San Francisco did, we could have cut the deaths by like, you know, 75%. And it's like, no, no, you couldn't because the people in California are still hiding in their house. They haven't come out to the public yet. And the only reason they would be safer coming out in the public is if there were drugs to handle the people that might die from this, or if there is a vaccine and you obviously don't want either of those things. So the only other way to stop this from spreading is people just never leave their house again. And I guess that's what TechCrunch wants. Maybe that helps with their you know, moms and dads, you know, the kids living in the basement. Maybe that's who's reading TechCrunch now. Maybe. In the words of uh, Professor Hubert J. Farnsworth, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Is there, a, is there an alternative 
Can we leave? Well, I'm wondering if Elon Musk still has any seats open on his mission to Mars or wherever the hell he's going. I don't think Mars was a place that you could actually live comfortably, though. I mean, I, I'm not sure Earth is either. I mean, at least we have Wi-Fi here. Uh, yeah. If you can get the password from the White House. <laughs> Who built the cages, Joe? That's <laughs> I want to change my Wi-Fi. Everybody should change their Wi-Fi password to who built the cages, Joe. Only if you have uh, liberal friends. Yes, coming over. yes, I think. Yes, because because encouraging everybody <laughs> to use the same Wi-Fi password as everybody else is really the best security choice. That's the kind of thing you get here on Grumpy Old Benz. And if you don't know when we're serious and when we're not, um, I do feel bad for you because uh, we give yeah, some. Well, we, it, we give some honestly, bad it might be best. It might be best to assume we're not serious for most of the controversial things we say. Yes, uh, it it it's a safer way to go. And more importantly, it reduces the amount of blame mail that I get. As as I said here, you you were going off on your thing and I ended up starting arguments in the troll room. Well, NetNed was just saying everybody should just use admin as a username and a password. I mean, uh, I mean we, we got through that era. It happened. I like admin no, and password. The, the just- age of. Password. The age of free Wi-Fi for everyone. Yes. Why? Why not just move every network to open? I mean, it's it's kind of the same. Create your own honeypot. See what comes in. But we do have experts, and those are the people that know when they should take what we're saying seriously, yes. and, and when that's they, why they're experts, and when they should totally ignore everything that is spewing out of our mouths. And that, and they know a good investment when they see it. They do. And first and foremost on the list with I I call this the Carlton Fisk donation. And I don't know if that's uh, what Cal means. But for me, it's the Carlton Fisk donation because Carlton Fisk, when he was with the Red Sox, was number 27. But when he came to the White Sox to resurrect his career and was one of the greatest catchers in White Sox history, he changed his number to 72. And Cal comes in with 7227. So the right numbers first, 72. 27 that just gives you the mirror back to the the past and that is much appreciated cal he has a cryptic note though that comes with the donation and i don't understand this because it says chanting all together we want bemlet we want bemlet we want bemlet love you guys that's signed cal he wants Bemlet. I don't know what for, though. Is, is there something going on with Bemlet that we should know about? He wants more Bemlet. Is Bemlet? He's not in the troll room today. I don't know why Cal would want more Bemlet. I mean, but he's an expert, so we should probably think about doing something to uh, to get that going. I mean, maybe he wants the grumpy old Bemrose Brothers gaming drunken Friday nights or something. I don't know. And maybe this was the point in the uh, program where uh, Ryan had to go potty casting. I mean, he um, knew. Maybe we, you knew it we were coming up to the bemlet. You knew we were coming up to the bemlet part. I didn't. You don't tell me these things. <laughs> this is the only time I've ever read something to you before a show that came in on a note, and I was Wait, like, "Hold on, am I supposed to fucking pay attention to what you say before the show?" Yes, I can barely pay attention during the show. Yes, I don't know and what. I- why does anybody want Bemlet? Are you just I see now I know why you left. You didn't want to hear we want Bemlet. Uh, it is a hard pill to swallow. I'll admit that <laughs> it's a hard pill to understand. I mean, swallowing it. I mean, that's another thing entirely. But uh, more Bemlet. How? I mean, I don't know if Cal wants me to replace you full time with uh, Bemlet. I don't think 
don't think Pemlet has that kind of time. I mean, he works for one of those evil cable companies that is uh, scraping he, all he's of your one data. Of those, as as a, a salesperson in a cable store, he's one of those people that, that God Emperor J. Fucking Inslee has decreed to be essential and therefore is one of the few people who still commutes. Selling somebody Comcast is essential. Yeah, yeah according to Jay Inslee. Wow, that guy's crazier than I thought. And, and to be fair, Xfinity has been really good for me. I know a lot of people complain about Xfinity. I've really enjoyed the cell phone, the mobile Xfinity, and my new modem haven't had any slowdown. So I'm guessing maybe it was a modem gone bad, which I've never had a modem that I've purchased go bad. But, uh, you know, maybe the stuff that uh, they rent you just isn't as good. But they give you free um, unlimited well, the, bandwidth. The word refurbished definitely comes to mind. Yeah, that I can believe. But this is one of the brand new ones. So hopefully we got this one brand new. It's one of the new X7 devices, which actually has a LAN port that goes up to 2.5 as far as the uh, gigabits. So I do need to uh, upgrade some network hardware so I can actually get over like 968 megabits per second, which would be nice. I always like to eke out every little bit I can, but I, I won't say anything bad about the Xfinity product. Yeah. So so that you can crank it back down as soon as you connect to a VPN. Exactly. Well, and the VPNs have become much better. We've talked about that, too. It used to be connecting to something like NordVPN took that gigabit service and was down to like 100 meg if you were lucky. Now it's like 350. Yeah, like 300K. Right. But now it's like 350 megabits. So it's the the VPNs have gotten way way faster it's like you can't hardly even notice unless you're downloading large files that you're that you're connected so that's a plus but thank you cal from lavender blossoms lavenderblossoms.org i wonder if he got his issues taken care of because he's another guy that is producing a oh, really yeah, he good was, product he, he was getting screwed over by one of the woke payment systems i don't remember which one probably yeah, well, mastercard paypal they seem to be in, at the root of all of it yeah, I think it was my PayPal who we've been uh, bitching about so far today, uh, not wanting to take it, even though the products are completely legal because they're CBD oil. There's a lot of places that are getting questionable about taking the cash. And I know somebody said they had an answer for him. I hope that all worked out because it's ridiculous that we live in a society where somebody's making a perfectly legal product. And I can tell you from my mom and my wife, who both use Cal stuff all the time, it works. It's damn good stuff. I don't I don't remember where Cal is located. I thought it was Colorado. Michigan. Michigan. Okay. <laughs> oh. Whitmore land. Oh, oh, I am yeah. so sorry. <laughs> yes. You know, if we did that, we'd definitely give you a karma. Yes. Yeah. I yeah, location karma for uh living yeah. in Whitmore land. Uh, I was just thinking, uh, like here where we are on the left coast and certain other places like Colorado. Uh, you don't even have to make the distinction between CBD and and the other uh, THC, whatever the other one, is, because it's legal. At least where I am, I can I can walk down the street four blocks, and there is a shop where I can walk in. Now I have to flash my ID uh, because it's twenty one only, but I can walk in and then walk out with uh, uh I don't even know what because I haven't been in there, but <laughs> something marijuana based that I can just use on the street if i if i want because it's fully legal here why why would a payment processor decide to screw over a company serving something that is a hundred percent legal that's the question what? because they don't like it yeah well because you know some woke overlord decided and i, you know, I don't this isn't the leftist type of woke but somebody 
decided to tell them that they shouldn't. Yes, it's a whole different because type of work. You know, well, we, you know, no matter how, even though the the up and coming new religion is now the the communist wokeism, we still haven't in America, at least, we have not got over those Puritan roots. That's a hell of a hurdle to get past. Yes, yeah, it is, and there's there's just weird stuff going on, and when you are able to stop somebody from doing business by simply stopping the flow of cash to them. Again, go back to episode two of grubby old Ben's the cashless society, which is we're coming closer and closer to it. When companies like visa mastercard can go, Oh yeah. Yeah. That product. No, that which person. Is why it's really scary that people are using the, the COVID overreaction as an excuse to get rid of cash in a lot of places. This is, this is the beginning of, of a long, painful reduction in our ability to have an economy without being tracked and, more importantly, the ability to shut it off. Well, that's it. And if, if anybody who didn't want to go back and listen to our cashless episode, which I, I, will, I will just advise you, our episodes weren't as long back then, and <laughs> so it, it wouldn't be difficult. But uh, the, the real problems with cashless money is... Uh, it can be tracked and it can be turned off. And if somebody has the ability, like, like apparently they're trying to do with Cal, like they're doing, like they did with, uh, you know, Dick Masterson, a new project, uh, any time that somebody has the ability to turn your money off, then you are, it's a chilling effect because you have to keep that person happy. Whatever the case is, you are not free. You are that person's slave because they can destroy your ability to exist. And we don't want that, which is why we like cash, because it is a form of money that is completely anonymous. You can't have your purchases tracked and judged and your 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 money, your cash cannot be turned off. Right. Which is why Bitcoin is not the answer. I mean, there are some that are privacy coins that are completely untrackable. That will be the answer, not Bitcoin. So I wouldn't be investing again. I'm not an expert. I'm not giving you any advice that is legally binding, but I wouldn't be putting a lot of money in bitcoin thinking that that's the answer because it's trackable and it and can I, you know i am an expert and i will give you advice however not legal um, advice well I, most of what i do is not legal <laughs> <laughs> nothing that we say here on grumpy old ben should be no, taken seriously and in a legal manner anything I, yeah, you do is your own damn problem I, I, I know i've said this before but my if if you listen to grumpy old ben's and go I should do exactly what that Ryan Bemrose says to do. Then you're not listening correctly. I'm not here to. Well, I was about to say I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I am totally <laughs> telling you what to do. Let me however, tell you what to do while I tell you. Not. However, the correct method of listening to Grumpy Old Ben's is not blindly do what Sir Bemrose says. The correct method is, huh? Sir Bemrose might have a point. I'm going to go off and make my own fucking decision because that is the only way that you can be a free, real human being anything else and you're a slave and you know what i don't want slaves they're too much hassle that sounds like work and thank you cal throw him some business if you're in need of his product like i said my mom my wife use it i don't but uh i don't have pain if i had pain i would give it a try but i haven't had any so uh either that or i could just say it's working that's what they would normally do if you were on one of these other podcasts like you know ben shapiro and stuff like hey i've been using cal's lavender blossoms for years and i have zero pain in my hands I mean, well, I never did before either, but I've been using the stuff and it's genius, but we don't do that. We don't take advertisements. We don't do product endorsements for cash. But hey, if we like products, 
Like I've told you, NordVPN, they don't pay me. We like NordVPN. We don't like. I keep telling you that's a mistake because you do enough advertising for NordVPN. They should be paying. I always figure we want people if they're going to do spend their money somewhere, they should at least do it with the company that is putting out a good product. And we don't want them to pay us to say that we want to be completely unfettered of those of those. uh, Can't can't we be unfettered and get paid? Because I I like getting paid. (laughs) You are such a hoe. Also on the list today, Progo. Woo. Brendan Kidwell. He has the on uh, the the OTG way of being on a subscription, which is every month his bank just cuts us a check. He just tells him to do it once and it, we will constantly get money. So, I mean, even if Progo dies and there's money in that account, boom, every month money will come in. I mean, hey, I'm going to break. I'm going to break with my co-host here and not actually with wish death on one of our experts. I didn't wish death on Progo. Oh, oh, now you're backpedaling. Okay, I get it. But he lives in uh, the New York, New Jersey area. So that's very dangerous right now. I mean, COVID. I mean, you're not in a nursing home yet, right, Progo? So you're okay. Probably uh, stay away from nursing homes. Stay away from uh, the grassy knoll and all of that. But we appreciate the support from Brendan Kidwell. You can go to smallcomputer.us to get all the information on what he's been doing lately. And if he can write us a better way to do transcriptions, I mean, that could be a company right there. I mean, you might want to talk to the podfather about that, too, because if he's going to be going and doing this, baking this into the MP3 and breaking this into the podcast RSS feed standard, and he's this is going to be a lot of business, I think, coming in for these transcription services. Everybody that has a podcast that goes, oh, a few bucks a month, I could have a transcription. Boom. There's definitely money to be made there. We also yeah, there, have there's a huge market there. Yeah. So do that, Progo, and just just cut us in. That's what kind of what we like to do. Uh, we have a new name on the list, which is Jay Codicini also comes in with 10 bucks. And we appreciate that. No note. Nothing else. Don't know who he is, but he's yeah, enjoying the show. said, yeah, we, it's like 10, 10 bucks. I got nothing more to say. <laughs> right. And that's that's and, awesome. You know, that's the best experts are the ones that that use few words to say a lot. Yeah. And our buddy truck driver came in with 10 bucks and I was about to put it on the list. And then I read the note and it's like, this is for the rock and roll pre-show. And I was like, Oh, that's the first. There's a first after a hundred and like 20 shows. Somebody came through with this one's for the rock and roll pre-show. And I appreciate that as well. We do that two hours before the no agenda show here on the no agenda stream, which we do these shows live on two hours before no agenda starts on Thursday and Sunday at 9 a.m. Central. Be sure to check the stream out. But everybody, we appreciate you being experts, your support of Grumpy Old Benz. You can go to grumpyoldbenz.com for all of the information. There's the PayPal button. There is the QR code for Bitcoin. There is the snail mail address. If you want to send us something that route, it all works. And we appreciate everybody that sends some value our way because we do the show on the value for value model, which is we hope what we're putting out has some kind of value, whether it's entertainment, whether it's educational, whether it's just, you know, something that you can listen to throughout the day and get something out of, you just decide even, what that is. Even if you only listen to the Bemrose rants out of sheer morbid curiosity. Can we just edit those parts out? See, now that would be another thing that the transcription, if they were, could be able to do, which would be, boom, cut this into just the Bemrose portion of the show. And then that's all people would get would be the rant. I wonder if they could pick up like your uh, you know, the inflections and stuff so they know when I, you're angry. I, I don't think we should do that because I think people would stop listening to the main part of the show. And 
Yeah, that's true. Nobody likes me. So uh, that's probably not a good. Just forget I said that. But we thank everybody for supporting Grumpy Old Benz in any which way you can. We appreciate the people that hang out in the troll room when we're doing the show live, especially when they fact check Ryan. That's my favorite thing. And when they play the game of is Ryan at the microphone or is he in the bathroom? That's my favorite. That's that's a new game. It's a, you, you keep this up. I'm going to install a microphone in the bathroom and you get to figure out how to filter out that sound quality. Hey, it's a multi-track recording. It's not that hard, to be honest. <laughs> I can do anything with the audio. But while there's many things still on the list, I, I mean, we're running longer than we like to, which is when we try to do short shows. Yeah, I, I told you I didn't have very many topics and I warned you this was going to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think as if there's nothing else you have that needs to be on this show. We can uh, put everything else onto the list for Friday. And of course, there'll be all a yep. bunch of new things. We just keep keep our rolling list of, of topics. Make sure that we're always about a week behind. Yeah, I don't know how many hours a week we would have to do to catch up. And I don't think I want to find out. No, let's not. All right. With that said, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where. I don't know if I want more Bemlet. I'm sorry, Cal. And from America's left coast, where we're not woke, but we're still going broke. I'm Ryan Bebros.